the business. I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi. And uh, I got my blackjack gum here. And I got that feeling. Mm. Yeah, that familiar feeling that something rank is going down out there. I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you, I make you laugh, I'm here to fucking amuse you. How the fuck am I funny? What the fuck is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Don't shake hands. Brothers got a hug. Come out to the coast. We'll get together. Have a few laughs. Oh, you. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. You ever seen a grown man naked? Now my mic is working. Sorry about that, everybody. My mic was fucked up. All right. Now you got me. Hey, what's going on? It is THT Movie Review, and I am Boxman. We have also Anthony. What is going on, man? What's going on, Box? THT Affiliated. That's <laughs> There you go. THT Affiliated. And along with us tonight, we've got, <coughs> excuse me, Bobby Anthem. What's going on, Bobby? No, in honor of tonight's movie... I will be billed as Bobby motherfucking Anthem. (laughs) Fucking A-Right, baby. (laughs) It's been an aggressive Saturday, man. Fuck, Bobby Bobby motherfucking Anthem. All right, I'll make sure of that. Um, (laughs) Yes, sir. (laughs) There you go. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, we are doing Pulp 
motherfucking fiction. How's that, huh? huh? So, <laughs> uh, yeah, we're doing Pulp Fiction. Um, I guess we can just go ahead and get this out of the way. Probably one of the most recent and most famous cult classics underneath, like, Rocky Horror, maybe? Are you, yeah, you guys would agree with that? Definitely, and I would say easily, like, top three in a, of the 1990s. Definitely, yeah. This movie was, I believe, uh, 1994. Correct. Yep, 1994. And yeah, man, the, and 1994 was not a slow movie year, if you remember correctly. There was a lot of fucking movies that came out that year. Yeah, that was yeah. a big year, wasn't it? What, what, what were some of the... Uh... Uh, True Lies. Um, I think what else? I'm getting it pulled up. Give me a second. Uh, the True Lies, the uh, last Beverly Hills Cop. Uh, what else? But wait a minute, Beverly Hills Cop 3? Come on now. For, uh, Forrest Gump, The Lion King, Shawshank Redemption, holy shit. Uh, Natural Born Killers, Dumb and Dumber, Ace Ventura, uh, Time Cop. I love that movie. Let's see. The Mask, Interview with a Vampire, Quiz Show, that's a great movie. Clerks, The Crow. Clerks. Yeah, yes. The Crow, Maverick. Uh. The Mel Gibson movie Maverick, Legends of the Fall. Dude, I'm scratching the surface. Ed, oh, Ed Wood. Oh, so shit. Many, I... So many heavy hitters. Oh, dude. I'm And literally, I mean, uh, Naked Gun 33 and a third, Stargate. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> the uh, whole Naked Gun. Dude. The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. <laughs> they, can't, they can't all be winners. I actually own that movie. Shut up. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we, we don't always make good decisions. No, not not every decision I make is good. Some of my decisions, oh. some of them are based off alcohol. Uh, Thank you, Weeds. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Weeds. Blank Man and Cape, uh, Cabin Boy. Thank ah. you. Uh, the Client came out that year too. That was a that's a pretty underrated movie uh, of that year. This uh, the specialist where you got to see see uh, Sharon Stone, just basically buck naked. So good year, good good yeah. year for movies. But uh, this movie, like you said, man, it's awesome. Number one, number two, the cast of this movie. Yes, uh, Hall of Fame crew. Yes, uh, let's see. We've got uh, we just heard Tim Roth in there. Uh, do you think it's a coincidence Tim Roth is named Pumpkin in this movie and he's Mr. Orange in uh, Reservoir Dogs? Absolutely not. No. Not a coincidence. There's no coincidences in uh, Quentin Tarantino movies. Um, and then Amanda Plummer was Honey Bunny. Uh, but then we had the resurgence of a career of Mr. John Travolta in this movie. Uh, and he has, Absolutely. Yes, and he has actually credited this movie with the resurgence of his career. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're not just saying shit here. So, Go ahead, Anthony. I was going to add, uh, would you say it was a slight resurgence to uh, Bruce Willis' career as well? Yeah, I guess it. I, I guess you could say that. Um, I mean, his career wasn't falling off a cliff. I don't want to say that, but it was like he was coming off a couple of uh, duds. Very true, very true. And the only reason Bruce Willis got this part was because Harvey Keitel convinced uh, Bruce Willis to take the part. Uh, because Bruce Willis was a huge fan of the Reservoir Dogs movie in 1992. So that's one of the reasons, you know, he is in this movie. 
And there were a few people that were, you know, slated to play Butch, uh, the character he played. And man, I'll tell you, they would have been much. This this movie would. Uh, yeah. Mickey Rourke is one of them that was slated to possibly play him. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Mickey fucking Rourke. Um, and I um, also Stallone was also Ooh. in the running to play for the character of the Bruce Willis character. Oh, would that have been a different movie? <laughs> Just imagine Stallone, you know, smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Yeah, picture this visual. Stallone busting in the room, <laughs> saving uh Ving Rings from a. well we'll get there, but that oh, would yeah. <laughs> it would that would have been a different movie. So between me and you, well, uh, eh, eh. <laughs> you know that. Uh, if you guys could see me, I'm actually doing the De Niro face with the Stallone voice. It's I don't know why, but um, oh shit, but, worlds uh, are colliding. <laughs> uh, Vincent but. Vega. Also, we 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 just talked about him. Uh, Vincent Vega, John Travolta. Uh, James Gandolfini, one of the actors that was uh, possible to play Vincent Vega. So, wow. Yeah, definitely would have been a different movie there, also. A few, a few things would have made this movie very, very, very different. Um, and also, we do get uh, Vincent Vega's partner in this movie, Jules Winfield, played by Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a not a resurgence in his career, but an early movie in the explosion of his career, I guess in you could say. In the superstardom, in his yes. superstardom. There you go. Say. Yes, he, he graduated. He Up until this point, he was a working actor, just mm-hmm. trying to get by. He, he would pop up in things, but this is the movie that pretty much put, put him on a map. Right. If you asked him honestly, I think he would have that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Uh, we was also saying, and I was going to mention this earlier, this movie had a budget of eight to eight and a half million, and the box office for this movie, 213.9. I don't know. That's called a success. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not a uh, financial whiz, but I would call that a uh, pretty good profit margin. Um, yeah, that's just the box office. That's not even like this is a like you mentioned. This is a cult movie. So yeah, the home purchases. Yes. Who doesn't own this movie? And if you don't own it, why go fucking get it? Absolutely, yes. classic. Absolutely. Yes. Um, it's certain movies that you need in every format, and this is one of them. Yeah, yeah. And actually, uh, B Megs in the chat is uh, saying, you know, this is a stupid question, which it's not actually. It's actually a good question. Where do you rank this among Tarantino movies? Uh, I, I could give you my personal three. My personal three would be Reservoir Dogs, this, and Jackie Brown. That would, oh, wow. See, th- yeah, that's my top three right there. That's interesting that you say that because my – well, my, th- those are also my top three, but not necessarily in that order. Mm-hmm. I actually put – for me personally, I actually put uh, Pulp Fiction as number one and then uh, Reservoir Dogs and Jackie Brown. Okay. Uh, it look, I I guarantee we could sit there all fucking night and argue which one could be one one and two and three, especially between yeah. the first two. 
But uh, Anthony, what you got? Uh, honestly, same three. My order would be Pulp Fiction, Jackie Brown, and then Reservoir Dogs. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we just okay. So we're just going to somewhat agree. <laughs> yeah. Actually, even uh, Beggs is saying Dogs, Brown Fiction. So he's in the agreements with those three movies. Um, now the funny thing is, we just mentioned Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. He actually auditioned for Reservoir Dogs and did not get the part. Uh, but from the, obviously from the from you know this movie on, he had something to do with every Quentin Tarantino movie except for Death Proof in two thousand seven. So, you know, Quentin Tarantino must have been like, hmm, I missed out on something with this guy, <laughs> and he did, and he did, man. In nineteen ninety two, I mean, eh, I don't know, ninety two wasn't the greatest year for Samuel. Right after this is when he really started blowing up, but. All right, let's go a little. Let's, let's go through a few more of the actors here, and then we will start getting into the movie. Uh, Phil Lamar plays Marvin. Yeah. Uh, Marvin isn't in the, it, briefly. Yeah, not in the movie very long. By the way, Phil Lamar is my NYPD blue tie-in. He was in two episodes. Uh, oh, nice. I had no idea. Yep. Uh, I'm going to go with season eight because it was really close to when. Um, Actually, I'm going to go with seasons, the end of season six because it was right when uh, Rick Schroeder was just about to be off the show. Uh, so it was either season six or season seven. But, yeah, he was in two episodes. and uh, Ridiculously talented, if I have to say, Phil Lamar. Um, mm-hmm. he, he's, he's, a lot of people don't realize how much work he does as, as far as voice work. Uh, damn near almost every black cartoon character that you hear half of them i would say are film done by phil lamar uh yeah lion guard avengers robot chicken family guy Mm -hmm. listen let me just put it this way if you go to his imdb 398 credits to his name goodness with with one two three four five six things coming up all the way to 2019 so this guy is, you know, like you said, wholly talented, you know, like Futurama, Samurai Jack. Uh, and he, you know, if you, some people will probably remember him from Mad TV. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, he gets mistaken for Aries Spears a little bit, I think. <laughs> I, I, I hate to say it, but I, I believe he does. But uh, yeah, this guy, holy shit, man. And, and his acting goes all the way back to, hold on. 1983. Is that how far? 1983? And he's only, the crazy part is, he's only 51. My God, yeah, 1983, man. Jesus Christ. Murphy Brown, I remember that TV show. Oh, wow, yeah, yeah. L.A. Law, Wings, I liked Wings. Oh, shit. I did, too. That's right. I forgot he was on um, Clerks, the animated series. Yeah, George Carlin's show. (laughs) Hanging with Mr. Cooper. Yeah. (laughs) That was a good show. Mark Curry. Yeah, that guy, man, yeah, this guy's definitely a uh, a hell of a talent, man. Jesus Christ. Yeah, he's a worker, for sure. No weebs, I wasn't saying they all look alike. Those two do look alike. Okay. <laughs> people do no, have, man. people, do, oh, the, <laughs> those two do, and I, and I, I, their voices are alike, too, but he's a definite 398 fucking credits. That's a lot, man. Yeah. I mean, you can. I mean, listen, Samuel Samuel L. Jackson. How many? Let's see what he. 
176. John Travolta, who, I mean, come on, this guy has been acting since the 80s. Another one been acting 70s. since the 80s. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. There you go, 70s. And uh, 75 credits. Wow. That, you serious? I'm dead serious. Travolta only got 75 credits? I think Frank Watley might have more than more credits than John Travolta. Let's see here. Frank uh, Whaley, sorry. Jesus, Travolta got that uh, Brock Lesnar schedule. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Frank Whaley, who who he was in Broken Arrow with uh, John Travolta, uh, 107 credits. So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's pretty damn good. Um, and by the way, Frank Whaley was my next next up in line. Anyway, he played Brett. Uh, Bruce Willis again played Butch Coolidge. Ving Rhames played Marcellus Wallace. Uh, then we go down a little bit. We get a few, uh, Uma Thurman. We obviously cannot forget, uh, played Mia Wallace. Um, and we get a nice little Steve Buscemi, uh, cameo and a nice little speech from Christopher Walken. Uh, you're going to hear that whole thing. There are going to be some long clips tonight, so prepare yourselves, but we're going to try to go through this movie as fast as possible. It is a two, two hour, two and a half hour movie. So, ah, oh, all right. I guess we should. Uh, you guys get anything more on some of the actors? I know I kind of skipped through a lot of them, but uh, I miss anyone that you guys want to mention. No, uh, we'll we'll get to them as we go along. All right. I uh, we can mention Peter Green, who was the uh, villain in the. <clears throat> excuse me. Who was the villain in uh, the Mask with Jim Carrey? He's Zed. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah. And, of course, we do get a little Quentin Tarantino. And, of course, we do get Harvey Keitel as the of wolf. Of course. The wolf. Yeah. And, cool uh, ass character. Absolutely, man. One of the coolest characters. So, I guess from there, we can go ahead. I mean, we pretty much played at the beginning where, where the movie begins. It begins with uh, Honey Bunny and Pumpkin sitting there. They're having a conversation. And finally, they realize we can make more money taken off everybody in this place instead of just the register. So they do, and then the, in, the um, intro hits, and then we immediately go to the second scene. <clears throat> the second scene, we are basically introduced to a couple of guys here. Um, I'm go. We are introduced to uh, the two guys, Jules and Vincent Vega, the two baddest motherfuckers on the planet in this movie, I'll tell you that. Uh, so I'm going to play that scene of course because that is a classic scene uh, we get the royale with cheese so I'm going to go ahead and get the uh, screen shared and I'm going to go ahead and play that scene there give me a sec here we go guys okay so tell me again about the hash bar okay what you want to know hash is legal now right that's legal but ain't 100% legal I mean you just can't walk into a restaurant roll the joint and start puffing away I mean, they want you to smoke in your home or certain designated places. Those are has one. Yeah, it breaks down like this, okay. It's, it's legal to buy it. It's legal to own it. And if you're the proprietor of a hash bar, it's legal to sell it. It's legal to carry it, but but, but that doesn't matter. Just get a load of this, all right? If you get stopped by a cop in Amsterdam, it's illegal for them to search you. I mean, that's the right that cops in Amsterdam don't have. Oh, man, I'm going. That's all it is to it. I'm fucking going. <laughs> no, baby. You dig it the most. But you know what the funniest thing about Europe is? What? It's a little different, I mean, they got the same shit over there that they got here, but it's just, just there, it's a little different. Example. 
All right, well, you can walk into a movie theater in Amsterdam and buy a beer. And I don't mean just like a little paper cup. I'm talking about a glass of beer. And in Paris, you can buy a beer in McDonald's. And you know what they call a, a, a quarter pounder with cheese uh, in Paris? They don't call it a quarter pounder with cheese? Oh, man, they got the metric system. They wouldn't know what the fuck a quarter pounder is. And what do they call it? They call it the Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. That's right. What do they call a Big Mac? Big Mac's a Big Mac, but they call it Le Big Mac. Le Big Mac. <laughs> what do they call a Wobble? I don't know. I didn't go on a Burger King. You know what they put on french fries in Holland instead of ketchup? What? Mayonnaise? <laughs> I've seen them do it, man. They fucking drown them in this shit. Yeah. All right. So there's, again, it's a Quentin Tarantino movie. So it's obviously going to be a lot of talking. Quentin Tarantino loves talking in his movies. But it's what they say that makes the movie great. Uh, you know, like exactly like uh, <clears throat> exactly like uh, John Travolta just said, the little things, and it is the little things in in uh, Quentin Tarantino's movies that makes a difference and makes them so fucking awesome. But that is you know another one of the probably more notable scenes just for the whole how many people were you know quoting the Royale with cheese and shit in 1994. Oh yeah, forever oh. for a while. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Just another fucking great fucking scene from a great fucking movie. Um I'm gonna keep playing this. I'm not gonna lie, the beginning of this movie I do have a good amount of clips for. Do you know well, before you continue? No, go I'm ahead. Sorry, bef- go. before you continue, I just I wanted to mention another uh another important part or another important reason behind that scene right there, that little conversation. Mm-hmm. It was just a, it was just a regular everyday conversation. They're just, you know, they're just shooting the shit, you know, like a couple of colleagues, couple of buddies, mm-hmm. knowing damn well the job that they were on their way to do. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it just illustrated just how cool those guys are. Exactly. Yeah. Knowing, you know, seeing the way the movie progresses, you're like, holy shit, they were that cool going to do that shit. Yes. And we will progress a little bit with the movie right now, and you'll get a little idea of what's going on here. We should have shotguns. Show me up there. Three or four. Best count, my guy. Not you. Oh, by the way, you might be going, I wonder why he's playing them loading guns. It's when they start walking in, the dialogue picks up again, the old kind of buddy-buddy, just two guys out bullshitting. Two hitmen mind you, having a conversation. That's exactly what you're listening to. A fucking two hitmen having a nice conversation. So, here we roll. It could be up to five guys up there. It's possible. We should have fucking shotguns. What's her name? Mia. How do Marcel's and her meet? I don't know. However people meet people. She used to be an actress. Oh, really? Did she do anything out of scene? I think her biggest deal was she starred in a pilot. Pilot? What's a pilot? Well, you know the show's on TV? I don't watch TV. Yeah, but you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this invention they show shows, right? Yeah. Well, the way they pick TV shows is they make one show. That show's called a pilot. Then they show that one show to the people who pick shows, and on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. 
Some get chosen and become television programs. Some don't become nothing. She started one of the ones that became nothing. All right. Now, the other reason I played that part, obviously, is right here. We don't get to meet Mrs. Mia Wallace. But what we do is we get an idea that something is about to happen with him and her, because why else would he be asking about her? Um, but we'll go ahead and proceed a little bit. I just want to break up these long clips, if that's okay with everybody, a little bit. So, here we go. You remember Antoine Rockamora, half black, half Samoan, used to call him Tony Rocky Howard? Yeah, maybe fat, right? I wouldn't go so far as to call the brother fat. I mean, he got a weight problem. What's the nigga gonna do? He's Samoan. Yeah, I think I know what you mean. What about him? Well, Marcellus fucked him up good. See, Roman Reigns is the exception. He's, uh, see, he just said Samoans have some weight on him. So that's, you know, it really is. He, he, he really is. The, I mean, and that's, and that's Samuel L. Jack. That, that's, that's motherfucking Jules saying that shit, not me. But anyway, I digress. Oh, I, I, I digress. I was on account of Marcellus Wallace's wife. So what'd he do, fucker? No, 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 nothing that bad. Well, then what then? Gave her a foot massage. Foot massage? That's it? Mm. Then what'd Marcellus do? Sent a couple of cats over to his place. They took him out on his patio, threw his ass over the balcony. Nigga fell false stories. Had a little garden down at the bottom, closed in glass like a greenhouse. Nigga fell through that. Since then, he kind of developed a speech impediment. That's a damn shame. All right. Again, two guys just going up in an elevator, having this crazy conversation about Tony Rocky Horror, which I don't think it's a coincidence he has he mentioned that film in this movie either. I kind of think he knew this might have be a little cult classic, just like Reservoir Dogs was. So, but I don't know. They're just going up and uh, having this nonchalant conversation. <laughs> tells you how really two and i you know we'll go ahead and put that out there they're two bad motherfuckers yeah 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 and we will get yeah. don't worry we're, we're definitely going to get to bad motherfucker i promise you we're gonna go <laughs> let's go a little more though here but still i have to say you play with matches you get burned what do you mean you don't be giving marcellus wallace's new bride a foot massage you don't think he overreacted Antoine probably didn't expect myself to react the way he did, but he had to expect a reaction. It was a foot massage. A foot massage is nothing. I give my mother a foot massage. It's laying your hands in a familiar way on Marcellus's new wife. I mean, is it, is it as bad as eating her pussy out? No. It's the same fucking ball pump. Whoa, 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 whoa. Stop right there. I mean, eating a bitch out and giving a bitch a foot massage ain't even the same fucking thing. It's not. It's the same ballpark. Ain't no fucking ballpark, neither. Now, look. Maybe your method of massage differs from mine. But, you know, touching his wife's feet and sticking your tongue in the holiest of holies ain't the same fucking ballpark. It ain't the same league. It ain't even the same fucking sport. Look, foot massages don't mean shit. Have you ever given a foot massage? <laughs> don't be telling me about foot massages. I'm the foot fucking master. You're giving a lot of them? Shit, yeah. Got my technique down and everything. I don't be tickling or nothing. Would you give a guy a foot massage? Fuck you. You give him a lot? Fuck you. You know, I'm kind of tired. I can use a foot massage myself. Yo, 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 man. You best back off. I'm getting a little pissed here. This is the door. Yeah, it is. 
time you got? 7.22 in the a.m. No, ain't quite time yet. Come on, let's hang back. All right, so they actually have to wait to a certain time to walk in this door. Pretty fucking crazy how detailed they are at uh, carrying out their orders, if you will. You know what See, I mean? Uh, and we should point out, this is how people who are truly affiliated act. Oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> they move in silence. <laughs> These guys are more than affiliated. You won't know they... <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. On that note, I will keep playing. I just realized I'm not even sharing the screen with you guys, so you can't even hear what is going on, can you? Nah, it's, right. it's a good thing I've seen the movie a million times. All right. Well, um, you'll know where I am right here. They're they're hanging back right here, and uh, I do want to continue with this conversation because I could play this whole fucking scene. I'm just trying to break it up. And look. Just because I wouldn't get no man a foot massage, don't make it right for myself to throw Antoine off a building into a glass motherfucking house fucking up the way the nigga talks. That shit ain't right. A motherfucker do that shit to me, he better paralyze my ass because I kill a motherfucker, you know what I'm saying? I ain't saying it's right, but you saying a foot massage don't mean nothing. I'm saying it does. And look, I've given a million ladies a million foot massages, and they all meant something. We act like they don't, but they do. I mean, that's what's so fucking cool about it. There's a sensuous thing going on where, where, you know, you don't talk about it, but you know it, she knows it. Fucking Marcellus knew it. And Antoine should have fucking better known better. I mean, that's his fucking wife, man. They think they have no sense of humor about this shit. You know what I'm saying? It's an interesting point. Come on, let's get into character. All right. <laughs> it is an interesting point, and he does have a point there. Um, but obviously, uh, Travolta is supposed to be taking out Mrs. Mia Wallace. Uh, again, played by Uma Thurman. Um, and if you want to know how bad Quentin Tarantino wanted Uma Thurman for this this part, she actually originally turned down this role. He was so desperate to get her, Quentin Tarantino, that he called her on the phone and read her the script, convincing her to actually take the role. Um, but you know, Quentin Tarantino really does put, I mean, he writes scripts. I mean, the, the, the script of, for Tim Roth and Amanda Plummet, they were both written exactly for them. Uh, the, the role of, um, and by the way, guess who was second, just in case Uma Thurman kept, uh, did reject the role one more time. Jennifer Aniston. Really? Really? Wow. Really? Yeah, Jennifer Aniston was uh, was the next in line, just in case. Wow. But I have to. No, go ahead. I have to. I have to say, I'm actually uh, much much more attracted to Jennifer Aniston, but I'm I'm thankful that Uma Thurman got the part because it was after this movie that she pushed and pushed and pushed for Tarantino to complete uh, Kill Bill. Right. Yeah. And look, this. She really was, you know, there was a reason he was writing this part for her, obviously. She just played it perfect. She just looked like that, you know, not dirty, but the kind of washed up actress, you know, came there and kind of lost her, you know, lost it, didn't ever make anything of herself. She she looked like that girl. And I don't know if how, you know, I mean, yeah, I guess Jennifer Aniston could look like that. If you ever saw the movie Rockstar, she kind of... You know, she looked a little dirty in that movie for a while, but, uh, yeah. It's going to sound like a weird statement to make, but 
Aniston was like she was uh, too pretty for this role. A little bit, a little bit. Basically, yeah. that's probably what I was saying. But uh, yeah, Uma Thurman played the played the role amazing. But uh, Tarantino really, really, really wanted her, obviously. Um, and you know, Quentin Tarantino wrote the wolf character exact, you know, specifically for Harvey Keitel, which we'll get to that part later. But um, and by the way, before you ask, the word "fuck" and all of its, you know, annotations, two hundred and sixty-five times. <laughs> yes, whether fuck, motherfucker, you know, fucking any, all of it, all of it, all of it. So, all right, I'm going to play a little more of this scene. They're just about to walk in to see uh, Brett with the big brain. Here we go. What's her name again? Mia. Mia. Why are you so interested in big man's wife? Well, he's going out of town in Florida, and he asked me if I'd take care of her while he's gone. Take care of No, man, just take her out, you know, show her a good time, make sure she don't get lonely. You're going to be taking Mia Wallace out on a date? It is not a date, you know, it's just, it's like if you were going to take your buddy's wife to a movie or something. Just good company, that's all. It's not a date. It's (laughs) definitely not a date. All right, so we do get to find out right there what is going on. He is taking her out, why he's taking her out, Marcellus told him to. And uh, from there, they are now walking into the apartment. And this is another, I don't know, what would you call this? Another completely quotable epic scene. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, here we go. Let's do this. Hey, kids. How you boys doing? Hey, keep chilling. You know who we are? We're associates of your business partner, Marcellus Wallace. You do remember your business partner, don't you? Now, let me take a wild guess here. You're Brett, right? Yeah. I thought so. You remember your business partner, Marcellus Wallace, don't you, Brett? Yeah, I I remember. Good. Looks like me and Vincent caught you boys at breakfast. Sorry about that. What you having? Hamburgers. Hamburgers! The cornerstone of any nutritious breakfast. What kind of hamburgers? All right, before I continue, can I just once again point out the dialogue, what he's saying, how he's saying it, how amazing it is? I, I, I just wanted to stop and point that out one more time because it goes throughout the whole movie, and I think we need to really just sort of air it out how amazing the dialogue in this movie was, and it's probably exactly why the movie is as great as it is. Okay. I just thought I'd say that again. And especially during this scene, I think it was the perfect time to say it. Uh, now, on to Big Kahuna Burger. Cheeseburgers. No, 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 no. Where'd you get them? McDonald's, Wendy's, Jack in the Box, where? Big Kahuna Burger. Big Kahuna Burger? That's that Hawaiian burger joint. I hear they got some tasty burgers. I ain't never had one myself. How are they? They're good. You mind if I try one of yours? This is yours here, right? This is a tasty burger. Vincent, you ever had a big kahuna burger? Want a bite? They're real tasty. Ain't hungry. Well, if you like burgers, give them a try sometime. Me? I can't usually get them because my girlfriend's a vegetarian, which pretty much makes me a vegetarian, but I do love the taste of a good burger. Mm. You know what they call a quarter pound of a cheese in France? No. Tell them, Vincent. 
Royale with cheese. Royale with cheese. You know why they call it that? Because of the metric system. Check out the big brain on bread. Okay. I'm going to pause it again. I'm trying to break up a few of these scenes. Can we just once again say this this character is really Samuel L. motherfucking Jackson being Samuel L. <laughs> motherfucking yeah. Jackson. Yeah, this role defined him. And I, I'm glad you paused it here because I wanted to mention something. Sure. Uh, there's a there's a little thing. Not that I'm a film expert. I've had a film class in college, but mm. I don't know if this is a thing that happens in all films or just Tarantino. But there's a thing about showing who has the power by taking somebody's food. If you, you can see it in a few movies, some, somebody who takes somebody's food that just that shows who's in charge. Ah, that is a good point. I never thought of it that way, but yeah, like when Seabass takes uh, <laughs> takes takes <laughs> takes <laughs> Jeff Daniels' burger and Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> exactly. And hawks exactly. a loogie in it. Yeah, kick his ass, Seabass. <laughs> Oh shit! All right, I'll um. Before I continue, I do want to say now, Jules was originally written uh, in Quentin Tarantino's original script to have a big gigantic afro. Uh, the only thing I can picture is like uh, undercover brother kind of afro, you know, in that movie. But um, they had a bunch of afro wigs, and they got one Jerry curl wig, and. Samuel just tried it on at the end and Tarantino was like, yep, that's the one. Roll with it. So they had one Jerry Curl wig and it was the one that they ended up going with. Uh, but uh, alright, I guess we can uh, go ahead and play a little bit more of this scene because uh, we're coming up to the more amazing part. You're a smart motherfucker, that's right. The metric system. Send this. Sprite. Sprite, good. You mind if I have some of your tasty beverage to wash this down. Go right ahead. All right, I have to pause it again because no one, you know, you listeners out there can't see this. I'm sure you all remember it, though. Not only is he taking a giant <laughs> sip of this dude's drink, but he is staring at him with these what-you-gonna-do motherfucker eyes. <laughs> Again, to show who's in charge. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I don't know what else you would call these eyes, but what you planning on doing, motherfucker? <laughs> Either that or you know your dead eyes. One of the two. But uh, I, I had to pause it there just to let everyone know the stare that he is giving him is so fucking amazing. It's just, it's so smart-ass. You know what I mean? It's really a fucking cocky prick move. Uh, it, it's it's very heelish. How's that? Huh? Huh? This is yes. this is a total heel move. So, all right, let's keep going as uh, he's uh, drinking this man's drink and staring at him weirdly, scarily. And <laughs> <laughs> hit the spot. You, flock of seagulls. You know why we're here. Why don't you tell my man Vincent where you got the shit here at? It's over there. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. You were saying? It's in the cupboard. No, no the one by your knees. 
Okay. Two things here. Uh, first of all, they do go for the briefcase, and we are going to get into the briefcase right now because this is where it uh, where, where it needs to be. Um, now, the first thing is the briefcase code is six six six. Did anyone <laughs> ever uh, anyone catch that one? I never yep. noticed that. You've never noticed that. No, I never did. The code on the briefcase is six six six. Now. Uh, there is a lot of speculation of what could be in the glowing gold briefcase. Uh, now, Tarantino has been in many, many, many interviews, uh, and I go back to one with Opie and Anthony, and he even says that he'll never say what he has a plan for it to be because it's really... It's a good thing when people keep talking about it like this. If, if you never know what it was, you're going to keep trying to guess what it was. Um, so, yeah, literally, and even on a Howard Stern interview in 2003, which Opie and Anthony interviewed him later than that, but he answered a caller who asked him, what is it? And he said, it's whatever the viewer wants it to be. Um, now, you know, some people thought it was fucking Elvis's gold suit being as this movie has a few, you know, Elvis references and stuff, um, uh, a lot of people went with the thing that it was uh, Marcellus Wallace's soul due to the Band-Aid on the back of the neck. Well, actually, Ving Rhames' neck had the Band-Aid because he cut himself shaving his head. <laughs> um... And they had already had the shot ready to go, and they just went ahead and rolled with it. So the Band-Aid was not planned at all. It was just hap- it just happened to be in there. But uh, was a nice addition. <laughs> it, it was a nice addition, and it really got people talking, which made people think, yeah, it's got to be the soul of Marcellus Wallace. Um, but I like the answer. It is what the viewer wants it to be. Um, you know, it, it, it keeps people talking, it keeps the movie relevant and, you know, it just makes the movie better in the long run. You know what I mean? Well, I would like to get into the briefcase once we're done, uh, once we're done with the movie. Okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, we'll definitely get back into it. I just wanted to get into that little factoid while we were, you know, sitting here watching, you know, Vincent Vega take a puff off a cigarette while, uh, admiring the whatever it is. So, all right, let's go ahead and get back to this because this scene continues the greatness. We happy? Vincent! We happy? Yeah, we happy. Look, I'm sorry. Uh, I I didn't get your name. I got yours, uh, Vincent, right? But but I, I never got your My name. name's Pitt, and your ass ain't talking your way out of this shit. <laughs> I just want you to know... I just want you to know how sorry we are that, that things got so fucked up with us and, and Mr. Wallace. It, 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 we, we got into this thing with the best intentions, really. I never... Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I didn't mean to do that. Please, continue. You were saying something about best intentions? Okay, once again, I think we can uh, go ahead and pause there for one minute. Again, showing the ice in the veins of these guys. The guy's talking, boom. He just shoots a flock of seagulls, he called them. Uh, <laughs> not much. And 
and just remained as cool as could possibly be. Absolutely. Yeah. Fucking ice cold veins, dude. Just right there. Never didn't skip a beat. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You kind of did. Uh, BMAX in the chat brings up a little uh, factoid that I, I did uh, I did know about. Quentin Tarantino proposed that um, he was going to do a Vega Brothers movie um, based on Michael Madsen's character in Reservoir Dogs and Vincent Vega in this movie. The, the backstory is that they are brothers. Now, he said the reason he didn't do it is because by the time he got it finished, they were too old to play the characters he wanted oh. to play. Um, but that really would have been cool. But really in... You know, in Tarantino world, those characters are actually brothers. You know, since you mentioned that, like I, f- I thought that we would get more into that into in the uh, when we get to the trivia. Mm. But apparently, something that I found is that all of Tarantino's movies are connected. Right. Yeah. Right. Through uh, basically through that family, mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting. I, I can't remember all of the connections offhand, but it should be pretty easy to find if somebody looks it up. But yeah, they're all connected somehow. Yeah. And I'll tell you the I would have loved to have seen Travolta and Michael Madsen in a movie together. That would have been some good shit right there. Um, but yeah, that's, uh, and I'm kind of trying to shove a lot of the trivia in while the movie's going on. If you haven't noticed, um, okay, there's a lot of trivia and there is, uh, a lot of movie. We're literally only 19 minutes into this movie right now. <laughs> and we're about an hour in. So, uh, all right. I'm going to go ahead and hit the share again. And we're going to go ahead and continue this scene. Because once again, we continue some greatness. Here we go. What's the matter? Oh, you were finished. Oh, well, allow me to retort. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? What? English? What? <laughs> what? Nice segue, box. <laughs> what? What? English, motherfucker, do you speak it? Yes. What? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. What? Oh. Describe what Marcellus <laughs> Wallace looks like. What? Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what? Fuck no, I'm not saying that shit again. All right. I'm done. I'm done. No more. All right. Hold on. All right. All right. All right. Here we go. I'm sorry. One more goddamn time. He's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch! No! Then why you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brett? <laughs> yes, you did! Yes, you did, Brett! You tried to fuck him. And Marcellus Wallace don't like to be fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. You read the Bible, Brett? Yes! Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great 
vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Okay, so we're done with that scene completely. Um, now, I'm going to go ahead and bring up uh, the passage that he just said. It's not completely all right. Uh, the beginning of it is correct. Uh, the first part about the righteous man, the tyranny of evil men, that is directly from the passage he mentioned. The second half was actually pretty much just sort of thrown together by Quentin Tarantino and Samuel L. Jackson. And it's actually <clears throat> that last line, and you, will name my, and you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee, is supposedly a reference to an old Sonny Chiba movie from 1976, Karate Kiba. I, I, I've actually seen this movie. I actually like Sonny Chiba. He's done some, yeah, me too. yeah, he's done some pretty good <laughs> shit. And I mean, it, it, obviously, a lot of his movies are from the you know seventies and early eighties, but yeah. good shit anyway. Um, but yeah, that's really what that was. So most of that was, you know, most of it was made up, but uh, a, the the beginning part of it was uh, directly from the, the the passage that he was trying to quote. So from there, we end up. At the next scene, the next scene is simply called Vincent Vega and Marcellus Wallace's wife. And uh, I had no choice. I had to just start playing it right from there. I mean, I mean, nothing I can do. Here we go once again. Ah, you know what? Before we get into this, can we also say that the music choices in this movie was another big help to... to, to Tying the movie together. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Tarantino is really good, in my opinion, at putting the right song with the right scene and having the right, I don't know, kind of the, the right genre throughout the whole movie. Yeah, and, the, and everything, like all of the music choices and even the wardrobe added to... The feel like I don't know how I don't know how you felt the first time you saw the movie, but when I saw it for the first time, it was hard to pin down what era the movie took place in. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, clearly it took place in the present, but everything everything had a retro feel or retro music or retro look. The hairstyles, everything was retro. Yeah, it definitely did. And I mean, you know, the way that they, you know, Vincent and Jules are talking, you know, you would dig it the most and shit. Yeah. You do sort of think it's kind of like a, it, maybe it is in the 50s. And then the clothes they wear are like 70s, you know, right. after, after you know, we'll, we'll get to the scene later after they get washed up. It's a, he really doesn't ever tell you where, how the movie is set or anything like that. So, yeah, it, it is a. I'm not going to say it's confusing, but it's. Uh, it, 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 but it does add to the movie, and uh, you know, even Bmegs brings up all of the you know Tarantino movies. His music choices are all amazing, and you know, you can go right to you know Reservoir Dogs with, uh, you know, he had you know I Got You by Joe Tex, which I mean, come on, not many people. Yeah. Who knows that <laughs> fucking song? 
I have that on 45. Oh, <laughs> shit. You know, you had a you know, little green Jesus. bag and you had a lot of really... He takes really obscure songs yeah. and just fits them into his movies perfectly, <laughs> man. Perfectly. So... I wanted to. I, I did want to mention that before we uh, rolled along here, and uh, roll along we shall. Think you're gonna find when all this shit is over and done? I think you're gonna find yourself one smiling motherfucker. Thing is, Butch, right now you got ability, but painful as it may be, ability don't last. And your days are just about over. Now that's a hard motherfucking fact of life. But that's a fact of life your ass is gonna have to get realistic about. See, this business is filled to the brim with unrealistic motherfuckers. Motherfuckers who thought their ass would age like wine. If you mean it turns to vinegar, it does. If you mean it gets better with age, it don't. Besides, Butch, how many fights do you think you got in you anyway? Two? Boxers don't have an old times thing. You came close, but you never made it. And if you were gonna make it, you would have made it before now. I'm gonna pause it there real quick. Now, obviously, you know, you, 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 he, he does sort of, in, you know, imply what he does mean. He is trying to get Bruce Willis to throw the next fight uh, that he is in, and he's, you know, because obviously, you know, his name is Butch. Isn't that a fighter's name, Butch? So, you know, uh, he is trying to get him to throw the next fight. Obviously, paying him. Um, you'll hear a little more. You know, he. he makes a nice little, uh, you know, he starts talking about, you know, that's pride fucking with you and this and that. But uh, that is what he's doing, is trying to get Bruce Willis to throw a fight. And that is Ving Rhames. And uh, I guess we'll go ahead and here. Let me share that screen one more time. Oh, someone someone turned on their vibrator. Turn it off. <laughs> that's my vibrator. Let me turn that off. Yeah, turn that off, man. Jesus Christ. We're I'll, doing... play with, I'll play with that later. I haven't even got to the Uma Thurman scenes yet. Jesus. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Hold on a second. Here we go. You Monday? certainly appears so. Night of the fight, you may feel a slight sting. That's pride fucking with you. Fuck pride. Pride only hurts. It never helps. You fight through that shit. Because a year from now, when you're kicking it in the Caribbean, you're going to say to yourself, Marcellus Wallace was right. Problem with that, Mr. Wallace. In the fifth, your ass goes down. Say it. In the fifth, my ass goes down. So there you go. In the fifth, his ass goes down. Obviously, he's 
telling him that's when he's going to throw the fight. He gave him the money for it and gave him the little speech right there. Um, and, uh, you know, we breezed past Ving Rhames before, um, but in this movie, he really did play a bad motherfucker. I mean, you believed he would take your fucking head off if yeah. you fucked with him. Not that I... very intimidating. Very intense in this movie, but uh, really played this part good. And obviously, you know, Quentin Tarantino really does well-picking actors also, as well as music, so... Definitely a great part. Now, you know, I'm not going to play this scene, but uh, this is where, you know, they do walk in and you do see Jules and, you know, Vince wearing some really outrageous outfits, some <laughs> short 70s shorts and some crazy, uh, crazy T-shirts. And, you know, you don't know why yet, but uh, in, you know, in, uh, you know, <clears throat> in traditional Quentin Tarantino fashion, this movie bounces back and forth and back and forth, but he does answer questions in his movies, you know, pretty well. Uh, it might not come up in the next scene or the scene after that, but it may come up the scene after that. So, uh, you know, they do walk in and they're sitting at the bar and Bruce Willis, uh, once uh, Jules goes over and talks to Ving, Bruce Willis and uh, Travolta sort of get into a little... I guess you could call it just kind of a staring match with each other. Nothing big happens, but uh, they do sort of look at each other, which kind of implies to you a little bit that something's probably going to go on a little bit down the road with those two. And, of course, it does. Um, and then we go to the next scene, and the next scene... Or, I'm sorry, do you guys have anything more to say about that scene before I, I, I roll through here? Nope. No? Uh, no? 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 All right. Well, the next scene, and this is where it gets a little interesting. We found out a little more about Mr. Vincent Vega. Uh, he is at the heroin dealers. And I want to play this because it's another really, really great part. The heroin dealer, by the way, is played by, I can never remember this guy's name, Eric Stoltz. No? Oh. Is that Eric Stoltz? Hold on a second. Is it? Is it? Is it? Is that his name? Stoltz? Eric? Yeah. Schultz or Stoltz? Not Schultz, but Stoltz. No, Stoltz. Yeah, that, yes, yeah. yes, yes. Eric Stoltz, who, uh, if you don't remember him, if you remember a little movie called Say Anything with um, John Cusack. Yep. Uh, he is the guy that holds the party. If you don't remember, that's one movie he was in. Um, hasn't been in many, done some TV but uh, known for a few, like I said, I know he was in Say Anything, and uh, uh, there's a lot of stuff I haven't heard of here, so let's just leave it. Um, but yeah, that's who that is. But uh, he runs into this dude's, Lance is his name, and he runs into this, uh, while he's waiting, he's talking to this guy's wife. And uh, I'm going to play the scene starting where he's, She's telling this girl about where she's pierced and all this stuff. She's one of those, you know, gothy, pierced chicks. And uh, I'm going to play from the scene right where Mr. Vega decides to chime in and ask why she has a tongue ring. And uh, here we go. I was just curious, but um, why would you wear a stud in your tongue? Sexing. Helps glacio. Vincenzo. Step in my office. Let's go. 
Panda from Mexico. Very good stuff. Now that's Bava. Different, but equally good. And that is Choco from the Harz Mountains of Germany. Now the first two are the same. 300 a gram. Those are friend prices. But this one is a little more expensive. This is 500 a gram. But when you shoot it, you will know where that extra money went. Now there's nothing wrong with these two. This is real, real, real good shit. But this one is a fucking madman. Remember, I just got back from Amsterdam. Am I a nigger? Are we in Inglewood? No. You were in my home. Now, white people who know the difference between good shit and bad shit, this is... Okay. I guess we need to air this out real quick, guys. Quentin Tarantino is known for using a certain N-word in his movies. Not only using it, but sometimes he ends up being the guy saying it. We will get to that scene. I promise you guys, we will definitely get to that scene. Um, I don't know. I, I, I know Spike Lee has a huge problem with it, and I'm sure a lot of other people do too. What do you, I mean, me being the token white guy on the show, what do you guys think? Well, I, I've mentioned it a few times before. Thank you. I, uh, I personally don't like the word i don't like the word i know like a lot of people say that it's just a word and you know you shouldn't give the word power but there is power behind words i don't like the word i don't like the history behind it for me personally it has a lot of weight because you know certain things that i've had to deal with in my life and a lot of people find it ironic that i don't like the word because i am a hip-hop guy my entire life like i'm diehard hip-hop and believe me my favorite rappers say it and i don't like it but i deal with it you know i don't like the fact that tarantino uses it in his movies at all okay i still love his movies <laughs> you know mm -hmm. I, I i deal with it there, no no excuse or explanation can be given to me you know to to accept that it's okay but I just I deal with it. I don't like it, but I deal with it. That's that's where we are with that. Okay, all right, Anthony, what you got for that? I mean, honestly, my uh, perspective on it—it's one of those things that comes with age. Like I said, all throughout my teens, twenties, now I'm in my early thirties. I didn't really start. I didn't really see the other side of it. But as I get older, and especially like, well, let's be honest, it's coming from a white dude. And he's just saying it so casually and so. I think I think that's where the anger comes from. Like you know, to Bobby's point, it's a lot of negative connotations with that word. But if it was coming from a brother, if it was coming from Spike Lee, mm -hmm. yeah, it, it, it wouldn't make it any less. It wouldn't make it any less hurtful. But you could process it better because right. it's coming from somebody that looks like you. But to see Tarantino, he, I mean, like I said, it doesn't take away from my enjoyment of his movies. Right. Okay. But it is kind of like all putting to see him just kind of like saying it so casually. Right. Yeah. It's a it's a little grating, you know. Like it's it's really a little grating. It, it feels when I hear it, it feels a little bit like a slap. Like uh, I've heard I've heard people defend him saying it in different ways, saying that oh his his mother pretty much exclusively dated black guys. He grew up around a lot of black people. So what? I don't. I don't care. I don't like it. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, him say him putting it in his movies might be his passive aggressive way of 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 uh, pulling Hulk Hogan. But I, I don't know. Uh, that's 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 speculation. I don't know. I don't know what his reason is for putting it in every single one of his movies. I, I just know that I can personally I could do without it. But All right. eh, 
Right. Um, all right. So I guess that leaves it up to me, I guess, as a white guy, which I'm Jewish. I'm technically not white anyway. But, you know, as the, you know, whatever I am on this show, it, I agree with both of you guys. And even when I'll agree when, when it's said by white people, it is cringing. Even for me, it's like, ugh, did he just, was that a hard R? Was that like an R? Was that, was that yeah. er? Did he er it? Oh my God. Not even in <laughs> my, it wasn't ah, it was er. Oh shit. Yes. You know, you, you, you sort of get the cringe. But with that being said, unfortunately, there are people that do speak like this in the world. Yeah. But I, I, but I also know that's not really the, the context that Tarantino's putting it in. You know, that, oh, well, you know, people do really speak like this. That's not. He's, and I'm not going to say he's saying it to be, you know, vindictive either. And, you know, he's not saying it as in, you know, to be a racist piece of shit. But he does get away with it a lot in his movies. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's been put, I'm not going to say he's been put under fire for it. People have spoke out against it. But he still does it. I mean, even B-Megs in the chat brings up that, you know, DiCaprio flat out used it in you know uh, in uh, Django. Yeah, and, you know, and if in the right context, it's okay. Like certain movies, you can understand the word being used. Well, I mean, in yeah. certain scenes, you can understand the word being used. But just to be thrown around casually where it doesn't need to be, like in yeah. this scene, in that scene right there, it didn't it didn't have to be there. In the scene later when Tarantino says it, there was absolutely no reason whatsoever right. for it to be used. I, yeah. I, I totally agree. Sometimes I, I will say he throws it in just to throw it in, just to be like, oh, look, I threw it in another movie. Ha, 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 ha. You know, but it does, like I said, when you when you hear that err, it does even make, I mean, it, it even makes me cringe. And I would say I probably a lot of people the same way. But uh, I guess we can roll on a little bit with this. One sec, and I'll play a little more of this. Now, again, he's just sitting there buying heroin from this guy, and this guy's putting over his heroin like he's selling him a fucking car stereo. <laughs> yeah, that's what got me, too. Like, <laughs> I, I have never... Look, I'll admit, when I go to my weed guy, he gets a little bit like this. I'm not lying. He's he's a little... <laughs> he's pretty know-it-all. He'll be like, this is like an Indica Sativa hybrid. Oh. And but you know he's a fucking stoner. This dude is like, listen, this thing will fucking this thing is going to give you a lot. He's like a car salesman. It's going to give you a lot yeah. of miles. It uh, it won't let you down. You can throw your family in the back, and uh, for five <laughs> and for five hundred more, all you you know you can go ahead and throw in this uh, entertainment package yeah. with a DVD player in it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that yeah. that's, that's hilarious, but like to me, like what got me is I'm like. Wow, he's just making it seem like it's just so like I've never fucked with drugs. I've I've been around mm -hmm. drugs. I've been around it, you know. Yes. But I've never fucked with drugs personally, so I don't know that I don't know what pitch drug dealers use. But this guy <laughs> is just like, oh yeah, yeah, three hundred. You know, that's the friend price. We're buddies. Yeah. You know, friends don't yeah. sell friends heroin. You know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> If you if you buy this if you buy this shit right here, you only see spots for three days. You buy this shit over here, I guarantee you it'll be cleared up in about a day and a half. Boom. You know, now a, a weed a weed connoisseur like that's a little bit different than selling heroin. You know, we you know weed will 
you know, we need some chill shit. You know, people can get into that. They'll be all right, you mm-hmm. know. But you sell yes. somebody heroin, you know <laughs> that somebody is not going to be okay yes. at the end of that shit. Yeah. You know? Now, the and by the way, the reason, uh, <laughs> there is a reason that they do this scene. Um, and he tells them how good the stuff is. We will find that out in a little while here. Yeah. But there is, again, there's usually method behind the madness of Tarantino's dialogue, and there definitely is... Oh, excuse me. Fucking Coors Light's killing me tonight. There definitely is a correlation between this scene, how good the heroin is, and a scene that we, you know, will get to in a few minutes. I'm going to go ahead and play a little more of this scene. There's only a couple, a, a little bit left of it anyway, so I might as well finish it. Now my shit, I'll take the Pepsi challenge with that Amsterdam shit any old day of the fucking week. That's a bold statement. <laughs> this ain't Amsterdam, Vince. This is a seller's market. Coke is fucking dead as dead. Heroin is coming back in a big fucking way. I'm right. three grand of madman. Okay. If it's as good as you say it is, I'll come back and buy another thousand. Well, I just hope that I still have some left for you. But I'm giving you some out of my own private stash. That is what a nice guy I am. And I'm out of balloons. Is the baggie all right? Yeah, it's cool. All right. Just get one for you. Honey, will you get me some baggies and uh, twistics from the kitchen? Hey, uh, what do you think about Trudy? She ain't got a boyfriend. You want to, uh, hang out, get high? Which one's Trudy? The one with all the shit in her face? No, that's Jody. That's my wife. I'm a hurt man. Thank you. <laughs> no, I can't. I'm, I gotta be someplace. All right, no problemo. Take a rain check. All right, I don't need to play any more from here. Um, basically, from here, uh, he does need to be somewhere. That somewhere he needs to be is going to meet Mia Wallace. Now, he does shoot up here. He even asks the guy how nice of him, and the guy goes, you know, Mikasa is Sukasa. And uh, he does shoot up right there. And the next scene is basically him just driving. And he is high as a motherfucker, and you can see it. He's grooving with the uh the song and everything um i mean i guess i can play the song real quick give me a second why not just to give you an idea of oops wrong button here give you an idea of just you know it's just next you know you got travolta acting stoned as hell now by the way he he's he had never done heroin so he knew how to act because he went and interviewed a bunch of recovering heroin addicts that's how he studied for this little role here. Uh, but here we go. All right, just a little taste of how, you know, the scene, he's sitting there, he's getting it all ready, he's getting ready to shoot up and everything, and he's just driving <laughs> to go see Mia fucked up. <laughs> I mean, fucked up. Um, but he does go to the uh, the house, and he does meet Mia Wallace, which, again, we talked about in the first scene. Now we're getting to the scene where they finally meet. Uh, we're a whole 30 minutes into this movie. Oh, my God. 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I really will do more filling in, but the beginning of this movie has so many questions that get answered later that it's it's hard to it was hard to judge which scene to play and not to play but uh he immediately gets to the house and uh there's a note on the door and i will actually go ahead and start this scene from here and here a go i'm getting dressed come inside and make your mia Vincent. Vincent. I'm on the intercom. Where is, where is the intercom? Okay. This is a classic scene because of the way Travolta just looks around the room. And he's got his hands up like, the fuck is going on? Like, like, like God is talking to him. <laughs> That's literally what he looks like in this scene. Like God is talking to him. But uh, I'm going to go ahead. Again, she's upstairs on the intercom just watching him. Uh, and if you're wondering the song playing, it's called Son of a Preacher Man. It's by Dusty. This, this version is Dusty Springfield. I love that song. Oh, I do too, man. It's a great song. Her voice is amazing too. Absolutely amazing. Um, but I'll go ahead and play a little more. Ball by the two African fellows. To your right. Warm. Warmer. Disco. Hello. Push the button if you want to talk. <laughs> Hello. Go make yourself a drink and I'll be down in two shakes of a lamb's tail. The barn's by the fireplace. Okay. <laughs> All right. Now he does go make himself a drink. Uh, she does end up coming back down here. Now. <coughs> It shows him making a drink, and then basically it shows her coming downstairs and saying, okay, let's go. There's actually a deleted scene in there that people who saw this in the movies did get to see the part where she asks him about an Elvis man or a Beatles man. Wow. It is – have you never seen this scene? There's a scene – right when she walks downstairs – She's holding a camera, and it's in black and white, and she's asking him questions, and she asks him if he's an Elvis man or a Beatles man. And as a matter of fact, I actually have the deleted scene right here. So I'm going to go ahead and actually play this deleted scene for you guys. This is right when she walks down. Um, in the scene that we see, she walks down, and it shows her in bare feet which is a a Quentin Tarantino thing. He loves people in bare feet. He must be a foot hey, he must be a foot fetish guy. Before yeah, yeah, I believe he is. Uh -huh. It's it's so funny to me that you haven't seen Kill Bill yet, dude. You have to see Kill Bill because I need you're to gonna, see him like both. a lot of stuff is going to make sense. But yes. um b before you move on, I want to I, I wanted to mention something else uh, about go, um, go, go. Son of a Preacher Man that you might appreciate. Uh -huh. I know that I know that you're not uh, much of a hip hop guy, especially the newer stuff, but I know that you have an appreciation for some of the earlier stuff. Uh -huh. Son of a Preacher Man was sampled by Cypress Hill and used in a song that you would probably like because the song yep. is called Hits from the Bong. Hits from the Bong, that's right. That <laughs> yeah. that 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 is the beat behind oh, it. I knew that. Yeah. Oh, and then you of course you did. Of course. Why would I question <laughs> Boxman? 
I figured no that out taking. Uh, I figured, yeah, I figured it out taking hits from the bong, man. <laughs> I'm like, I've heard this beat before. Holy shit, man! Right. <laughs> oh, All right, shit. now let's go. Yeah, but that 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 is, man. It's it's it is a good fucking song, though, man. And this version, it's been done by a lot of people, but this original mm-hmm. Dusty Springfield version is probably the best version I've ever heard. So. I have to agree. Yeah. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and play this deleted scene for you guys. Um, Again, this is right when she walks downstairs. I'll play this, and then I'll get to the part where she actually does walk downstairs. So here we go. I'm going to roll this deleted scene. Coming up, I promise. There we go. You're on Mia's camera. Ready to go? No, not yet. Did you ever see Barbara Walters interview the movie stars? Once or twice. Well, that's what this is. Pretend I'm Barbara Walters, and I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions. About what? Oh, life, the world, yourself, whatever I might find interesting. I don't like answering questions. Oh, but that's not your problem. That's my problem. I'm the interviewer. I have to make you feel comfortable so you'll open up and reveal things you normally wouldn't. Okay, I'll ask you an easy one. What's your name? Vincent Vega. Any relation to Suzanne Vega? Suzanne Vega's my cousin. Suzanne Vega, the folk singer, is your cousin? Suzanne Vega's my, my cousin. She's become a folk singer. I sure as hell don't know nothing about it. Well, <laughs> now I'm going to ask you a bunch of questions I've come up with that more or less tell me what kind of person I'm having dinner with. My theory is that when it comes to important subjects, there's only two ways a person can answer. Which way they choose tells you who that person is. For instance, there's only two kinds of people in the world. Beatles people and Elvis people. Now, Beatles people can like Elvis, and Elvis people can like Beatles, but nobody likes them both equally. Somewhere, you have to make a choice, and that choice tells you who you are. Well, now, I'm obviously not going to ask you that one, because you're definite, but you're hip to where I'm coming from. Can you dig it? I can dig it. I knew that you could. Okay, first question. Brady Bunch or the Partridge family? Partridge family. Hmm. On Rich Man, Poor Man, who did you like more, Peter Strauss or Nick Nolte? Nick Nolte, of course. What's your favorite way to say thanks in a foreign language? Merci beaucoup. In conversation, do you listen? I have to admit that I wait to talk, but I'm trying harder to listen. Hmm. If you were Archie, Who would you fuck first, Betty or Veronica? Betty. Cut. Print. Let's go eat. All right. So there's your deleted scene from the movie. So guys, before we even move on, I got to ask, Anthony, are you an Elvis guy or a Beatles guy? (laughs) Wow. I'm going to go Elvis because I would have to assume that at his peak... He had a lot of women, a lot of women around the corner. Mm-hmm. He did. Don't uh, the Beatles though, man? The Fab Four. I mean, uh, they definitely. But I, 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 but out of all of them, though, there's a pecking order in groups. Who was the uh, MVP? You think? Of which one? Uh, the Beatles. Oh, you you mean like who got the most? Yeah, yeah. It's Paul. a pecking order. It had to be a pecking order. There. Oh, Paul. I'm gonna go Paul. You don't think John? I think Paul got the most. I, I do. Said John. Really? 
I don't know, man. Yoko really fucked him up, dude. That's true. That's very, very true. Yeah, that's the only reason I would go with Paul. I mean, Ringo might be the one, though. I mean, I might be wrong. It could be Ringo. I mean, Ringo's still kicking ass today, but uh, I have to admit, I would be an Elvis man. I think you guys already know that one. Uh, Oh, I know. Bobby, what about it, man? Elvis, Beatles, what kind? What kind of guy? I'm sorry, man. I'm sorry. I got to say Beatles. I'm the only Elvis man here. (laughs) I like the... the, uh, experimentation in the uh Beatles music. I like I like their use of uh of sounds. You know, what they did sonically was they they did shit with sound that it wasn't designed to do, you know. Okay, so, so I, I I gotta go Beatles. So are you like original Beatles or like dropping acid Beatles? Are you like uh you know <laughs> Yellow Submarine? <laughs> right, like Yellow Submarine Beatles or like Help, you know, I need somebody. Help. As crazy as it may seem, and as much as I'm not a drug guy, I got to say, man, I, I, I like the shit where, they, uh, where their minds may have been a little expanded. All right. All right. Well, I, I had to know. I had to know. And actually, I, I prefer the, uh, and I guess me being an Elvis man, I prefer the original Beatles better. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Anthony, is this even a question that you can answer? I know you probably don't listen to much Beatles, so. Uh, I don't. I think I said in the beginning I said Elvis, but in, in terms of uh, if we're talking musical, musically, I will go with the Beatles. All right, all right. I mean, I mean, did you like the early Beatles or the crazy fucking Beatles? Like <laughs> Penny Lane was a little bit of the crazy Beatles, but um, you know, like I said, you know, Help and all that old stuff was the uh, oh, the original Beatles. Right, the yeah, traditional. Yeah, that helped. That's a classic. But I'm a, you know, uh, that Voodoo Child was a. I'm, I'm a fan of that. I know that's not the Beatles, but I will probably say I'm probably. <laughs> I would lean towards the trippy Beatles because it, <laughs> as fucked up as it is to say, especially back during that time period when you look back and you find out how much, how many drugs were consumed by different artists and the music that they were able to put out. My God. It just seemed like you you were in a better frame of mind when you were fucked up on something. Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, you know, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say Elvis wasn't taking drugs. Elvis just thought because they were prescription, they weren't drugs. Amazing. It's kind of the uh, problem we have today with a lot of people. They don't think their prescription drugs are actually drugs. Um, But, you know. It uh, it was the same thing with him, and Weebs was actually asking me, "Am I like Jailhouse Rock or in the Ghetto Elvis?" Uh, I would have <laughs> to go. I would always go with Jailhouse Rock, badass Elvis, yeah. young, skinny, badass Elvis. I will always go with over fat, sweaty, now, sequence suit Elvis. Um, now, box real quick, yeah. real quick. Yeah, I gotta ask you something. All right, all right. I do. You know, I know we gotta get back to the movie, but since we we're on Elvis, since we're on Elvis, I gotta ask you. Uh, there's been a lot of rumors over the years about you know all of his material not necessarily being original, i.e., coming from him. Does that alter how you feel about him a little bit? No, or your opinion of him? No, a lot of Elvis's stuff was covers anyway. Yeah, he covered he a lot of songs. Former. Yeah. He was more of just a performer. He was. That's exactly what he was. Elvis was a showman, an entertainer, an entertainer. And he would always call. He never called himself anything less than an entertainer 
people would ask him his views on politics, and he would go, I'm an entertainer. Nobody wants to hear that. God damn it, I wish people would fucking watch that video of him saying it and learn that answer. Uh, but <laughs> Jesus. I, if El, damn it, if Elvis was still around, I'd vote for him for that, for that answer alone. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, he was, uh, I would always go with, uh, but yeah, I, I don't know. I, I guess we should get back to the movie, but I'm definitely, I'm sorry, but I'm, I'm an Elvis man. Anyway, speaking of drugs, we do go back to the movie, and Mia is upstairs snorting coke. Again, that does come into play a little bit later in the movie. But uh, she does come downstairs, and they do go to a restaurant called Jack Rabbit Slims. Um, this was actually a real place at one point. It has been torn down since. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like a real 50s diner. Like like a fifties diner on steroids, where everyone's dressed up as you know, right? They they got a Ricky Nelson playing in the background and Marilyn Monroe and you know all kinds of people in there. <clears throat> but uh, it's a really cool place. But the conversation between Mia Wallace and John Travolta again is another great scene, great dialogue. This is going to be another long one. I apologize, but. I got to play a lot of this scene because it's great. And here we go. I think it's like a wax museum with a pulse. Hi, I'm Buddy. Can I get you? Let's see. Steak, steak, steak. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's Douglas Sirk steaks. Have that. How do you want that cooked? Run to a crisp or bloody as hell? Bloody as hell. And oh, yeah, look at this. Vanilla Coke. What about you, Peggy Sue? I'll have the Durward Kirby Burger, bloody, and a $5 shake. Hey, with that shake, Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy? Martin and Lewis. All right. Now, before we even go any further with this scene, I do want to go ahead and point out, yes, you're hearing correctly. That is Steve Buscemi in the, in the, uh, as the Buddy Holly waiter. He was supposed to have a bigger part in this movie, but due to scheduling conflicts, this is what he got. He did a quick cameo. Um, now, and obviously him dressed as Buddy Holly, you know, that's why he said, you know, what about you, Peggy Sue? Buddy Holly's hit Peggy Sue. Get it? Yes. <laughs> Get it? Get it. Uh, okay. Now, he just asked her a question. Do you want that milkshake, Martin and Lewis or Amos and Andy? Um, that was a kind of... That was asking yeah. if she wanted vanilla or chocolate. Vanilla or chocolate. <laughs> yes. Being Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, the two white men, or Amos and Andy, uh, two African-American gentlemen. So that was a sneaky way of asking chocolate or vanilla. I did want to point that one out. Um, <laughs> I thought that was creative. It actually is pretty creative. You know, the, uh, Tarantino, the, maybe that's why he gets away with stuff. He's a pretty creative guy. But uh, I'm going to play a little more of this scene. Once again, the dialogue between these two, it's, it's really great, number one. Number two, it's almost like a, like a like sexual tension. Purpose, obviously, it's purposely, oh, it's purposely yeah. sexual tension. It's kind of obviously scripted, but uh, play a little more of this here. That's a shake. That's milk and ice cream. Last I heard. That's $5. You don't put bourbon in or nothing? 
No. Just checking. I'll be right back with your drinks. Could you, um, roll me one of those, cowboy? You can have this one, cowgirl. Thanks. Now, real quick, what he's doing is he's rolling cigarettes. And by the way, if you don't know what that tobacco is, I used to roll my own cigarettes. That is drum tobacco that he's rolling with. It actually has a little, that's one of the, one of the two product placements in this movie is drum tobacco. What? Yeah, I used to roll my own cigarettes. I'm sorry. Cool box is fine. All right. All right. I'll go back to the scene now. I just wanted to point that out. That we, you know, little, little factoids. Here we go. Nothing up. So, Marsala said you just got back from Amsterdam. Sure did. How long were you there? Just over three years. I go there about once a year to chill out for a month. No kidding. I didn't know that. Why would you? I heard you did a pilot. That was my 15 minutes. What was it? It was a show about a team of female secret agents called Fox Force 5. What? Fox Force 5. Fox as in we're a bunch of foxy chicks. Force as in we're a force to be reckoned with. And 5 as in there's 1, 2, 3, 4, 5 of us. There was a blonde one, Somerset O'Neill. She was a leader. The Japanese Fox was a kung fu master. The black girl was a demolition expert. French Fox's speciality was sex. What was your special? Knives. Character I played, Raven McCoy. I'm going to pause this again to break it up and again to make a point. You know, knowing now what I know, you know, that Jennifer Aniston was up for this role if Uma Thurman had said no again, this scene would have been so different with Jennifer yes. Aniston over Uma Thurman playing this part. Like I said again, Uma Thurman just had the, I mean, I, I guess you could say almost the sluttiness to play this role where, Again, Anthony said she's almost too pretty. She's almost too nice of a girl. Yeah, you know, yes. uh, face it, who could see the girl from Friends blowing lines and doing this shit? Right. I don't want to take anything away from Jennifer Aniston, but I don't think she would have been convincing enough as far as the, uh, yes. the attitude of, and the character. You know. Right. Right. I right. Yeah, I, I, and again, I mean, the, you know, Uma Thurman was, and I know they would have thrown Jennifer Anderson in dark hair, and it might have been just fine, but hearing her, you know, her voice, her, her, oh. the, her, you know, her facial expressions, the way her body is moving, the way, even just the way she holds the cigarette is just. Yes, I mean, one way, I mean, I look at it like this, you know, uh, Facial expressions and just the way you kind of can carry yourself, hold, hold hold a pose. It's not just about acting and the words you say and how you say. It. It's about presentation, how you look. You look at the. I look at it like this. Look at the Pulp Fiction poster. Mm-hmm. That's an iconic poster, right? Oh yeah, yeah. Uma Thurman has that resting bitch face. She has like the slight bags under her eyes. She looks slutty. Looks like she puts out. <laughs> could you picture? Could you picture smiling Jennifer Aniston? She just seems happy. Jennifer Aniston, like, that's the best way I can describe you know, Jennifer Aniston. You know, she always seems like she's in a good mood. You can't picture her on that poster. I've seen I've seen Jennifer Aniston play other types of characters, you know. Like she was in the uh like we're not gonna go too far off because there's so much more movie to get to, but she was in the uh the uh sitcom, the Ferris Bueller sitcom as his uh sister. 
So mm-hmm. she was able to pull off an attitude, you know, and the the role that uh, what was her uh, Jennifer Grey played in the movie, yeah, Jennifer Aniston did in the t- in the TV series, right? And she was able to pull off an attitude in the, in that show, but I don't think she would have really been too convincing in the role of of Mia, you know, not that she wouldn't have put in an effort, but it just I don't I don't think it would have worked. No, it wouldn't have. I don't. I don't think. The effort would have been there, but it wouldn't. Have, I don't think it would have came off. It would have came off like she was playing a character. Yes, so, exactly. With Uma, she kind of she just embraced. Obviously, you know, she's not into the kind of stuff that this character was. But in the movie, she kind of conveyed it. You could believe it. You could. You can kind of get lost in the moment watching her play the role. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, I'll Absolutely. go ahead and uh, I'll go ahead and get a little more into this scene because there's obviously more meat to it. Um, and then, trust me, we're we're going to go a little faster through this movie, but the beginning, probably the first hour, I do have a lot of clips, and I'll admit that, but uh, it gets a little more spread out in a few minutes here, but here we go. She grew up raised by circus performers. According to the show, she was the deadliest woman in the world with a knife. And she knew a zillion old jokes. Her grandfather, an old vaudevillian, taught her. And if we would have got picked up, it would have worked in a gimmick where every show, I would have told another joke. Did you know any animal jokes? Well, I only got the chance to say one, because we only did one show. Tell me. It's corny. Don't be that way. Tell me. Nah, you wouldn't like it and I'd be embarrassed. You'd be embarrassed. You told like 50 million people, and you can't tell me? I promise I won't laugh. That's what I'm afraid of, Vince. That's not what I meant. You know it. Now I'm definitely not going to tell you because it's been built up too much. What a jip. Martin and Lewis. Vanilla Coke. Yummy. You think I can have a sip of that? Be my guest. I got to know what a $5 shake tastes like. You can use my straw. I don't have cooties. Yeah, but maybe I do. Cooties I can handle. I'm going to pause it there real quick. Again, you can see a little, if you're watching this, you do see a little sexual tension, like I said. Um, But, again, he also plays with the timeline of the movie because you don't really know, you know, again, $5 for a shake. That's like, you know, that's not bad. (laughs) (laughs) You know, a lot of places, you know, you go to Brahms for a shake, you're probably paying, you know, three, four bucks for a three, four, four ninety nine for a shake. So, you know, but again, he doesn't really want you to know when this is. I don't not I don't think he kind of wants to play with the uh, the timeline a little bit. But um, I'm going to definitely play more again. I'm trying to break it up. And uh, here we go. A little more after Vince tastes the five dollar shake. God damn, it's a pretty fucking good milkshake. Told you. I don't know if it was worth five dollars. It was pretty fucking good. <laughs> All right, they have a little awkward moment of silence, and she does her little thing about the awkwardness, and then she goes to the bathroom, um, real quick, and then she comes back, and the food is there, and again, as sexy as sexy as she is in these scenes, she just kind of slinks into the booth and uh, I'll play it from there. Don't you just love it when you come back from the bathroom to find your food waiting for you? We're lucky we've got anything at all. 
I don't think Buddy Holly's much of a waiter. Maybe we should have sat him out in Monroe section. Would you like a coffee? Which one? There's two Monroe's. No, there's not. That is Mel Monroe. That is Mamie Van Doren. And I don't see Jenny Mansfield. She must have a night off or something. Pretty smart. Yeah, I got my moments. So do you think there's something to say? Actually, I did. However, you seem like a really nice person, and I, I don't want to offend you. Doesn't sound like the usual mindless, boring, getting to know you chit-chat. All right. I don't need to play this scene, really, for anymore. Um, basically, from here, he gets into the... Uh, he starts asking her a little bit about the Tony Rocky Horror situation. She tells him it was really blown out of proportion um, and all that stuff. But uh, then we go to the dance that they do. Uh, another iconic scene... You know, the whole dance scene is iconic between the two of them. But uh, just another fucking amazing scene in this movie. <clears throat> what, what, what did you guys think of this scene? It, uh, the whole thing, you could feel the uh, sexual tension just, just building, mm-hmm. you know, just, just gradually building. I thought it was very beautifully done. Right. I agree with you. Um, here, real quick, I do want to point out one thing. Uma Thurman actually did not like the song that was playing here when they were doing their little twist contest dance. Uh, it was Chuck Berry's You uh, You Never Can Tell. Uh, Bob Seger actually did a little cover of this. Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band did a cover of this song also. I'll play a couple, a, a few seconds of it so everybody can hear it and hear what it was. Here we go. There's a little bit of it. She actually did not like this song, and she actually went to Quentin Tarantino and told him about it, and his words were, trust me, it's perfect. Um, I'm glad she trusted him because, again, the song goes perfectly with every little part in this movie, if you ask me. Every little part in this movie. Um, But they do end up winning the trophy. They do end up in first place. Uh, they do go back, and uh, they're a little flirtatious when they go back to Mia's house. Vince decides to go in the bathroom, though, instead of uh, giving in to temptation, and he's talking to himself, kind of like, uh, you know, you're not going to do anything, blah, blah, blah. Um, it kind of, you know what it reminded me of? The scene in Mr. Mom? <laughs> You, yeah, it does actually. You remember when you know he's got the 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 one girl, uh, what Carolyn out there, or was Carolyn his wife? I think Carolyn was his wife, Terry Gar in that movie. But he's got the other girl out there, and he's in the bathroom going, you know, a, and he's given all the reasons why he's not going to go out there, and he's on Z. Um, <laughs> it, it's it's a great scene, but it sort of reminds me of that. He's like, you know, you're going to come in here, you're going to go out there, you're going to say we had a nice night, and you're going to go home. Meanwhile, she's looking through his jacket. She finds the heroin. Remember we said there's a reason they talked up how good the heroin, the heroin was. Uh, and we did mention she was doing coke earlier. She snorts it and ODs. He comes out of the bathroom, and she is OD'd on the floor, basically. 
not, pff, actually, not even basically. She is completely OD <laughs> on the floor. Um, yeah. We do go through the whole scene. I, I really didn't feel like playing the whole scene. Again, I'm going to skip through a little bit. I don't feel like playing the whole scene where, you know, he does the, the syringe in her. But uh, he does drive her to Lance's house, and they do give her the shot of adrenaline. That scene was actually filmed by Travolta pulling out the needle, and then they shot that in reverse. Wow. <laughs> yes. Nice. And it, says, it, it actually says in IMDb, watch carefully. You'll see the mark on her chest disappear. Uh, as she's revived so but yeah he does revive her and drives her home and it's a very awkward silent drive home between the two which is a little ironic being they had the whole you know silence conversation before but uh when they get home is where i want to start this scene from um you know they kind of i guess you could say they make a pact in a way um here, let's go ahead and roll it from here real quick. What's your thoughts on, on how to handle this? What's yours? That if Marcellus lived his whole life, he don't need to know nothing about this incident. If Marcellus knew about this incident, I'd be in as much trouble as you. I seriously doubt that. <laughs> I can keep a secret if you can. Shake on it. <laughs> now, if you excuse me, I'm going to go home and have a heart attack. <laughs> Vincent, do you want to hear my Fox Force 5 joke? Sure, except I think I'm still a little too petrified to laugh. No, you won't laugh because it's not funny. But if you still want to hear it, I'll tell I can't wait. Okay. Three tomatoes are walking down the street. Papa tomato, mama tomato, and baby tomato. Baby tomato starts lagging behind, and Papa tomato gets really angry. Goes back and squishes him. Says, ketchup. There you go. So we finally get to hear the joke. <laughs> yes. And she's right. It's not funny. I don't care how I don't care how badly I wanted to get laid that night, I still wouldn't laugh at that shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, no, no. But uh we do at least finally get to hear the joke that she was telling us about. Um and then we go to a scene with Christopher Walken. Uh yes. Um now, we don't find out till later what this is. This is a flashback of Butch, the boxer. Um, I have to play this scene. I've got to play the whole scene. I'll play a good chunk of it, at least. But Christopher Walken just shows up out of nowhere and is Christopher Walken. I mean, how else can you put this part? Uh, Christopher Walken as a, a badass motherfucker. Let's let's admit it. He's probably the most low key badass there is, in my opinion. Um, but here we go. We're gonna go ahead and roll some of this right now. He's funny, city dog. He thinks totem pole alive. <laughs> he ought to tend up for that totem pole been here forever. Much. One more thing is what I was glad. Now, do you remember when I told you your daddy died in a POW camp? This here is Captain Coons. He was in the POW camp with daddy. Hello. Boy, I sure heard a bunch about you. See, I was a good friend of your dad's. We were in that Hanoi pit of hell together over five years. Hopefully, 
You'll never have to experience this yourself, but when two men are in a situation like me for as long as we were, you take on certain responsibilities of the other. If it had been me who made you cool as you'd be talking right now to my son, Jim Butch. I got something for you. This watch I got. It was first purchased by your great-grandfather during the First World War. It was bought in a little general store in Knoxville, Hello. Tennessee. Made by the first company to ever make wristwatches. Up till then, people just <laughs> carried pocket watches. It was bought by private doughboy Orion Coolidge on the day he set sail for Paris. This was your great-grandfather's war watch, and he wore it every day he was in. And he'd done his duty, home to your great-grandma. Took the watch off, put an old coffee can, and in that can it stayed. Till your granddad, Dane Coolidge, was called upon by his country to go overseas and fight. Germans once in World War II. Great-grandfather gave his watch to granddad. Unfortunately, Dane's luck was in. He was killed. Granddad was facing death for leaving that island alive. So three days before the Japanese took the island as the gunner on an Air Force transport named Wanaki. Many never met before in his life. To deliver to his infant son, we'd never seen the flesh. His gold watch. Three days later, your granddad was dead, but Wanaki kept his word. After the war was over, he paid a visit to your granddad, delivering father his dad's gold. This watch, this watch was on your daddy's wrist when he was shot down on that Hanoi. He was captured in a Vietnamese prison camp. He knew that if the gooks ever saw the watch, it'd be confiscated, taken away. The way your dad looked at it, this watch was your birthright. You'd be damned if any slope's gonna put the greasy yellow hands on his boy's birthright, so he hid it. In one place he knew he could hide something, his ass. Five long years he wore this watch, up his ass. Then he died of dysentery. He'd give me the watch. I hid this uncomfortable hunk of metal up my ass. Two years. After seven years, I was sent home to my... All right. Let's, let's just pause it there for a minute. Um... This little kid is literally looking up at this Christopher Walken the whole time. Uh, the kid's name is Chandler Lindauer. Uh, he had to sit through the whole speech delivered by Christopher Walken. This was one take from what I uh, from what I read. Uh, because he was so young, he really didn't understand what Christopher Walken was saying. So, thank God for that. But it actually worked. It added to it. Oh yeah. Oh, it really did, man. It really did. But um But see that's the thing though, like, you know, it was a weird scene and if you look at the overall scope of the movie, it doesn't really fit in the context of anything. But it's Christopher Walken. Oh yeah. He can make anything work, man. So I I'll get it was weird, it didn't make sense, it didn't fit the movie, but it's fucking Christopher Walken, so I'll get that scene a pass. I think it kinda I think it kinda did fit something though. Um well fir- first I wanna mention how Every single time I watch the movie, I think it's just hilarious. Not even the part that everybody laughs about, the part about uh, the watch uh, being hit up his ass. To me, the funniest thing about it is just how heavy all of that shit is that he's just dropping on this little kid. (laughs) It's just hilarious to me. But I I think it makes sense because as an adult, it's, it's about pride. You know, his dad, Butch's dad, Hit that watch in his ass for what did he say? Five years? Yeah. Now you know because because for it, it was a 
Oh no, go ahead. Go ahead. No, 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 please go, 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 go. Yeah, it was it was it was about pride. Like that was the one thing. The the watch and the sense of pride are two the two things that he got from his father. Right. Which was which which uh which is why he refused to throw the fight. Mm-hmm. It was the, the pride, you know. So it, it, I believe I might be wrong. I might be wrong. I'm not an expert, mm-hmm. but I believe that that's what that was saying. Oh yeah. Oh no, no. I totally agree with that. But I'll add to it, and this brings up why the watch means so much to Butch that he's willing to go back for it, even though he knows that he's a you know wanted man. Mm-hmm. This is this brings up why this tells you the story of the watch and why yeah. it's so why the sentimental value is there to him. So I'll play a little more of it, and uh, it, it's almost over. I'll play a little more of this scene, and, uh, and then we'll move on to the next scene. So here we go. I'll play a little more. Little oh, man, give the watch to you. <laughs> All right. And then we do go to the watch scene. And, of course, every, anytime I hear Christopher Walken, the only thing I ever I, I hear is... Uh, is I have more cowbell. That's all I ever hear. Got to have more. <laughs> yeah. I have more cowbell. More cowbell. So, but anyway, now we do go to the scene where uh, Bruce Willis wakes up. Now, remember, he was supposed to throw this fight, um, <clears throat> but he wakes up from that dream. Again, the dream we did, I, I know that was a very weird scene in this movie, and I even admitted it was, but, you know, like me and Bobby just, you know, put, there is definitely a reason for the scene and basically it was a long speech on just how to tie in the watch after this scene right here. Uh, you know, they do have Bruce Willis go out there and he doesn't throw the fight. Um, instead, he jumps into a cab with uh, Esmeralda Lobos, I believe is her name in the movie, um, and speeds off with her instead. Not only does he not throw the fight, but he ends up killing the guy in the movie. So, you know, that's uh, that's way off a of throw in the fight. But now, after all this, he does end up taking um, the cab back to his, I guess, fiance in this. Is she his fiance in this movie or girlfriend? Girlfriend? I don't really remember. Let's just go ahead and say girlfriend. Let's just say girlfriend. His girlfriend, this little French girl, little cute French girl. Um, I I forget her name in the movie, whatever. But, uh, you know, he goes to her. They, you know, do the thing. They're having sex in the shower, blah, blah, blah. But he finally gets out, and she's talking about breakfast. This scene right here is where he starts looking for the watch in his briefcase. And he realizes the watch is gone, and he starts freaking out. So again, another scene where we see how much the watch means to him. We found out why it means a lot to him. Now we found out that it really does mean a lot to him. So here we go. Look. Blueberry pie to go with the pancakes. And on top, a thin slice of melted cheese. Where's my watch? It's there. What's that? Have you looked? Yes, I fucking look. What the fuck do you think I'm doing? 
Yes, bedside table drawer. And the little kangaroo? Yes, it was in your little kangaroo. Yeah, well, not here now. Well, it should be. Yes, it most definitely should be, but it's not here now. So where the fuck is it? That guy. It was my father's fucking watch. Do you have any idea what he had to go through to get me that watch? I don't have time to go into it, but he went through a lot. Now, all this other shit you could set on fire, but I specifically reminded you not to forget the fucking watch! Now, think. Did you get it? So. You believe so? What the fuck does that mean? You either did or you didn't get it! Then I did. Are you sure? Fuck! Fuck! Fuck, motherfucker! not your fault. All right. I think we can go from there. I think we kind of figured out what's going on in that scene. Um, yeah. Again, we mentioned why he freaks out about the watch. Again, he just said it. You know what my dad had to go through to get that. We do. <laughs> she doesn't, but us viewers know it was up his ass and then up Christopher Walken's ass. Uh, <laughs> Colonel yeah. Coon. I'm not sure. If, I'm not sure if that's another racist thing. God damn it! We might be pulling a little uh, racism out of uh, Mr. Tarantino here, huh? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> yeah. Suffice to say, with all of the Hollywood remakes, we won't be seeing one of uh, Pulp Fiction, at least in its original form. <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, but yeah, he again freaking out, and we did mention, you know, he he knows Marcellus Wallace wants him because he just really screwed him over. Uh, by not winning, you know, throwing, I'm sorry, by not throwing the fight. But he has to go back and get this watch. It's just, he has to do it. Uh, so he does go back, he does uh, go back, he goes back to his apartment. And as he goes in, he hears someone in the bathroom. It turns out to be actually Vincent Vega. And he kills him. He shoots him in the scene because he left his gun outside. So, you know, you think Vega is dead, but he does come back later in the movie. But it's a Tarantino movie, so who gives a shit, right? But uh, then we get into a scene where, by the way, the car he's driving in this scene, the white, um, Jesus Christ, what is that? The white Honda Civic he's driving, the 1980 Honda Civic, is the exact same car that uh, Pam Greer is driving in Jackie Brown. Mm. Yes, like the exact same. Like, that's the one. Uh, so there you go, real quick. Uh, but yeah, he does do that, and uh, as he's driving away, because he did finally get his watch, he's having a fine time running around, just kind of chilling out. And he sees Ving Rhames walking across the street. Ving Rhames sees him. But I do want to play this scene real quick just to point out one little thing. I'm going to play this. Now, he does see Ving Rhames here, Marcellus Wallace. The reason I played that scene, you're like, I wonder why he played this weird scene of Bruce Willis. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo he's singing along with also is a line he uses in um, 
Die Hard with a Vengeance. Hmm. In the beginning of the movie, the I believe it's the captain or one of the lieutenant asks him, um, you know, what have you been, uh, uh, what have you been doing? And he goes, "Don't ask me. I was home smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo." Which again was a yeah. which which ties in though because obviously he was in that movie with Samuel L. Motherfucking Jackson. <laughs> yeah. So that's the reason I played it. There was a little tie-in there with him and Die Hard. Now Die Hard did come out in between this movie and the other uh, movie that Bruce Willis was in <clears throat> of uh, Quentin Tarantino's, which slips my mind right now what it was. Sorry. But, uh, yeah, he does see Bing Rames here, uh, Marcellus Wallace, and he guns it. He guns the motherfucking car right here. And he runs him over, gets into an accident while he's doing it. Uh, and this is where they sort of end up. They end up in a pawn shop, it looks like. I guess that's a pawn shop. Is it a gun shop or a pawn shop? It's a pawn shop. Yeah, yeah, it's a pawn shop. And they find two guys who are, uh, uh, I don't know, what, Deliverance? They're from the movie Deliverance? Perfect. Per well, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right out of the movie Deliverance. Yeah. I'll go with that. It looked like they took their cousins to the prom. Yeah. Yeah. Since you mentioned since you mentioned deliverance, mm -hmm. I saw deliverance later in life um as an adult and it uh I regret watching it because for anybody who didn't see hasn't seen deliverance it doesn't end well for Bobby. <laughs> in that movie, it does not end well for Bobby. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I yeah. Well, <laughs> uh -huh. and it's funny it's funny you say that so uh according to the daily beast these three cycle hillbillies that torture butch and man in a shop based are a reference to the film deliverance so uh we, we were on the money that's what they were going for yeah there we clearly. go and i clearly because it's a very similar scene <laughs> there is and actually when uh when the pawn shop owner calls zed he actually says the spider called uh, the spider called him some flies, <laughs> which is a really creepy line. But they are literally, you know, after the, after he runs him down, uh, Marcellus Wallace ends up starting to shoot at him. He ends up shooting a uh, just an innocent person, a civilian. They end up in the pawn shop. The call that I just mentioned was made as they're fighting. Um, this dude basically knocks them both out. They are both downstairs, tied up and ball gagged. Uh, this is where the movie gets uh, excuse the uh, excuse the pun, but dark. In yeah. in many different ways, this movie gets a little dark. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and play right where Zed is uh, coming downstairs, and uh, that's where I'm going to start for you guys. What's up, Bobby? Oh, I didn't say anything. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I thought I heard something. I'm going to go ahead and hit the old share. Here we go. Each other, man. They came in fighting. This one right here, he's going to shoot that one. Is that right? You going to shoot him, boy? Huh? Hey, Graceful, right out front. Yeah, it ain't too dead. No, it's Thursday. She ought to be fine. Well, 
Bring out the gimp. The gimp's sleeping. Well, I guess you just have to go wake him up now, won't you? And I think bring out the gimp was another quotable line that a lot of people were using in the 90s. <laughs> so I wanted to pause real quick and mention that. But uh, yeah, here we go a little more with this scene. I'll play it until it... Uh, I'll play a little more. <laughs> go they finally do get the gimp out and the gimp is a guy dressed in leather um leather mask everything uh the gimp was played by a guy named steven hibbert by the way um not many things under his belt a few things under his belt uh, uh no 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 pun intended there but uh you know he's got very few credits he has only 10 things to his name but uh, they do get out the gimp, and I'm going to play some of this right here. Which one of them you want to do first? I ain't for sure yet. Amy, get to go my oh. Yes, that means you, big boy. You want to do it in here? No, take you back there to Russell. Sounds good to me. Okay, so they take Marcellus back, uh, they tie up the gimp, and they go back and they start doing uncomfortable things. <laughs> yeah, that's it. And 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 and, 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 I, and I gotta say right off the bat, go ahead. Uh, uh, in the nineties, between between this and six degrees of separation, I was fucked up for a little while because <laughs> I, I I saw and, and anybody that saw that movie, six degrees of separation, uh, Will Smith was in that movie, uh, and I saw that in pretty close proximity to this, and yeah, let's suffice to say, I was fucked up for a little while. <laughs> you, you, you don't you don't you you don't you don't. You, Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This this one caught me off guard because when I saw when I watched this movie, I pun sort of intended didn't see this coming. Yeah, yeah. And let's face it, they raped the dude. They yeah. raped Marcellus Wallace. Um and while this is happening, Bruce Willis does get free, Butch does get free, knocks out the gimp, he goes upstairs, he's about to just run out of there and leave Marcellus. Um, but then he starts looking for weapons. He finds a hammer. He finds this. Then he sees a katana. Um, would you say this is sort of a uh, foreshadowing to the Kill Bill? I would say so. You never yeah. you never thought of that, Bobby? No, I didn't, actually. Uh, <laughs> I mean, wow. I mean, it's no secret that Tarantino is a big, you know, kind of anime hentai kind of fan. So, eh, not a surprise that he would have. I mean, it might not be. I might, be, I might be, you know, looking a little too deep into it. But, you know, oh, he, you might be honest. Something. Eh, I might, and I might also, like I said, be looking too deep. It might have just been because he is an anime fan and a comic book fan. So, you know, but uh, we're he does go back down there after he finds the katana and he starts fucking people up. Not the way that Zed is fucking Marcellus Wallace <laughs> up. 
different way. Um, stabbing people and just basically he's breaking them out of there. Um, I'm right here at the scene where Zed is pretty much fucked. And um, Butch <laughs> has a sword to his, basically a sword to him. And uh, he's thinking about going for a gun. Here you go. Gun, no, you go ahead and pick it up. Come on, that up, boy. I want you to pick it up. Step aside, Butch. with this scene just imagine knowing what we know now that uh stallone was up for that scene and hearing you okay <laughs> it would have made it too much i mean it was too much of a comedy scene i think yeah i think so too again bruce willis just has that seriousness about him that i believe this needed so good call on bruce willis playing the butch character um but um, you know, let's go ahead and play more of this. Here we go. What now? What now? Let me tell you what now. I'm gonna call a couple of hard pipe-hitting niggas to go to work on the homes here with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't do what you by damn sight. I'm gonna get medieval on your ass. Mm-hmm. Oh, that wasn't now. I tell you what now between me and there is no me in you. Not no more. Yeah, we cool. Two things. Don't tell nobody about this. This shit is between me, you, and Mr. Soon to be living the rest of his short ass life in agonizing pain, rapist here. It ain't nobody else's business. Two, you leave town tonight, right now. And when you're gone, you stay gone, or you be gone. You lost all your L.A. privileges, deal? Get your ass out of here. All right, so we do get the, I'm going to get medieval on your ass. Obviously, Bobby said it, and it was a very popular, and still is a very popular quote. Um... But he gives Bruce Willis a pass, obviously, for saving his ass. Well, literally. Well, he didn't really well. save his ass. He <laughs> saved his ass from further abuse is what he did. Now, now that scene, like, just to kind of wrap, God, wrap that scene up. Uh, do you think that was added more for shock value, or do you think it actually added to the overall scope of the story being told? Um... That's a good one. I think it actually added more to the story being told. Again, you know, it he did go far in that scene. I'm not going to lie. That was kind of far to go. And that was, like Bobby said, it was a little... Didn't really expect to see that when I saw it either. I was kind of like, oh, my God. But um, <laughs> it did add to the scene of... It actually added back to the first scene of does Marcellus Wallace look like a bitch? Why are you trying to fuck him like a bitch? Right. 
Ah. It actually ties all the way back to the beginning scene, if you think about it. So, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm looking too deep. I'm kind of, uh, I've had a few beers. No. and uh, No, it makes perfect. Marcellus doesn't like to be fucked by anybody mm-hmm. except Mrs. Wallace. And he finally got fucked. But, uh, you know, and the fact that, you know, this, we, we do find out how, you know, otherwise we wouldn't have found out how Bruce Willis got a pass from him. But, um, you know, he does, thank God, obviously, you know, he saved his, uh, he saved, like I said, he saved him from any more anal rapings. But um, this is where he shows up at, uh, back at the girlfriend's uh, apartment with the motorcycle because he does take Zed's keys and I do not blame him. I would have done the same motherfucking thing, to be honest with you. Uh, Love me some motorcycles. And uh, he pulls up on the chopper and uh, let's go ahead and do it. Quick scene here. Fabian! 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 Come on, baby, come on, get your shit, we gotta go right now. What about our bags? Pump the bags, if you don't split right now, we're gonna miss the train. Come on, be downstairs. Is everything well? Just come on, no talking now. Uh, are we in danger? Come on, honey. Where did you get this motorcycle? It's not a motorcycle, baby, it's a chopper. Come on, let's go. What happened to my Honda? I'm sorry, baby. I had to crash that Honda. <laughs> Will you come on now, please? Come on. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. You hurt? No, no. I, I might have broken my nose. It's no biggie. Come on. Hop on. But, uh, baby, please. We, Honey, we got to hit the fucking road. Get on. Come here. Come here. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. You've gone so long. I started to think dreadful thoughts. Oh, I'm sorry, sweetie. I didn't mean to worry. Everything's fine. How was your breakfast? Did you get the pancakes, the no, blueberry pancakes? I didn't have blueberry pancakes. I had to get buttermilk. Oh, Are you sure no. you're okay? Honey, since I left you, it is, this has been without a doubt the single weirdest fucking day of my life. <laughs> Come on, hop on. I'll tell you all about it. Come on, get on. Gotta go, gotta go. Come on. Whose motorcycle is this? It's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? <coughs> Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead. There you go. Zed's dead, baby. Zed is dead. So, yeah. Obviously, you know, he takes off, and this is the last you see of Bruce Willis in this movie. He was only on set for 18 days. That's it. 18 days, Bruce Willis was done filming. Um, And I have a feeling this film made him a lot of fucking money. Uh, But uh, from here we actually end up back at the Bonnie situation. Now, the Bonnie situation is the house that we started the movie in that we were just talking about where uh, they go in, they kill Brett and uh, Flock of Seagulls, and uh, Marvin is still alive, let's not forget. But um, this is the other part of that scene, and I'm going to go ahead and play it from here. And uh, by the way, we only got like 40 minutes left, and... Again, I'm skipping through some more stuff here as we go. It's not going to be that long. Let's roll with this scene, and here we go. Uh, by the way, did you hear that quote real quick there? Yep. Starts right out with, he don't like to be fucked by anybody but Mrs. Wallace. Maybe I did tie that in more than I thought I did. Uh, here we go. <laughs> Look at the big brain on my <laughs> <laughs> don't shoot don't shoot bobby motherfucking anthem holy shit all right, all right here you read the bible bro 
Yes! Oh, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits the occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides. Equities of the self and the tyranny. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. Is he a friend of yours? Hmm? Oh, Benson, Marvin, Marvin, Benson. Better tell him to shut the fuck up. He's getting on my nerves. Marvin, Marvin, Marvin! I'd knock that shit off if I was you. Die, you mother... Now, what happened here is a guy came out of the bathroom, shot at them, all the bullets missed, which brought up the theory, which I always thought was a weird theory, that a lot of people started thinking that these guys were angels of death. Did you ever hear that one? I hadn't heard that. Yeah. A lot of people started thinking that, well, that's what this movie was about, where it wasn't. It was just a weird little you know thing that Quentin Tarantino put in the movie, but... Um, I'm going to play a little more of this scene, though, just, again, for what they say to Marvin. Uh, you know, the fact that, why didn't you tell us there was a guy with a fucking cannon in the bathroom? So, here we go. Why the fuck didn't you tell somebody was in a bathroom? Slip your mind? Did you forget that someone was in there with a goddamn hand cannon? You see the size of that gun he fired at us? It was bigger than him. We should be fucking dead, man. Oh, we was lucky. No, 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 that shit wasn't... This was divine intervention. You know what divine intervention is? I think so. That means that God came down from heaven and stopped the bullets? That's right. That's exactly what it means. God came down from heaven and stopped these motherfucking bullets. I think it's time for us to leave, Jules. Don't do that. Don't fucking blow this shit up. What just happened here was a fucking miracle. Chill, Jules. Sh- By the way, can we point out the fact that he's basically almost talking like a preacher, yet cursing every other word? <laughs> I, I just want to point that out. Uh, here we go. Shit happens. Wrong. Wrong. This shit doesn't just happen. Do you want to continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse with the cops? We should be fucking dead, my friend. What happened here was a miracle, and I want you to fucking acknowledge it. All right. It was a miracle. Can we go now? All right. So there you go. You kind of see where Jules is kind of... Happy to be alive, really. Um, And they do put Marvin in the car right now. um, And they're driving with Marvin. But yeah, definitely. uh, It was uh, definitely Brett's turn to go. (laughs) They fucked up Brett. But yeah, I always thought the scene where he goes, did you not think, did it slip your mind there was a guy in the bathroom with a hand cannon? (laughs) Always love that fucking line. But uh, I am going to play a little more. I'm going to play right now. They're in the car with Marvin. And Jules is having sort of a, a come-to-Jesus moment, we could call it. Yeah, yeah. Literally. Yeah, literally. Exactly. And uh, let's go ahead and roll it. 
show cops? I was watching it one time and there was this, this cop on, he was talking about, about this gunfight he had in the hallway with this, this guy, right? And he just unloaded on this guy and nothing happened. He didn't hit nothing, okay? It was just him and this guy. I mean, you know, it's, it's freaky, but it happens. Look, you want to play blind man, go walk with the shepherd. But me, my eyes are wide fucking open. What the fuck does that mean? I mean, that's it for me. From here on in, you consider my ass retired. Jesus Christ. Don't blaspheme. God damn it, I said, don't do that. Hey, you know why you're fucking freaking out on us? Look, I'm telling Marcellus today. I'm through. Well, why don't you tell him at the same time why? Don't worry, I will. Yeah, and I bet you $10,000 he laughs his ass off. I don't give a damn if he does. Marvin, what do you make of all this? Man, I don't even have an opinion. Well, you gotta have an opinion. I mean, do you think that God came down from heaven and stopped... Oh, what the fuck's happening? Oh, man. man. Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. Why the fuck you do that? Well, I didn't mean to do it. It was an accident. Oh, man, I see some crazy-ass shit in my time, but this... Oh, man, I shot Marvin in the face. <laughs> <laughs> Again... Back to the beginning of the movie where we talked about how much of two stone-cold killers these guys are. I mean, even then, <laughs> uh, they're just fucking cold, cold, cold. Oh, shit, I shot Marvin in the face. Yeah, his delivery was like it was a minor inconvenience. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, now, this car they're driving, this 1964 Chevelle Malibu, or Chevy Malibu, um actually was Quentin Tarantino's car. It was stolen during the production of the film in 1994. In 2013, police saw two kids stripping an old car and arrested them. After researching the VIN number, they found out it was the car from the movie, and they actually returned it. To, to, so Quentin Tarantino got his car back in 2013, wow. stripped down years later. But, uh, yeah, that car was actually Quentin Tarantino's car and got stolen during the movie. Um, I guess I could play a little bit more of this scene with Marvin. And uh, then we'll go ahead and, again, we're, uh, we're rolling to the end of the movie here. So here we go. Actually, probably he went over a bump or hey, something. Hey, the car ain't hit no motherfucking bump. Hey, look, man, I didn't, I didn't mean to shoot the son of a bitch. The gun went off. I don't know why. Well, look at this fucking mess, man. We're on a city street in broad daylight here. Believe it, man. Well, believe it now, motherfucker. We gotta get this car off the road. You know, cops tend to notice shit like you're driving well, a car. Just take it to fucking a, blood. Just take it to a friendly place. That's all. This is the valley, Vincent. Marcellus ain't got no friendly well, places in the valley. Well, you my fucking town, man. Shit. What you doing? I'm calling my partner in Toluca Lake. Where's Toluca Lake? It's just over the hill here, over by Burbank Studios. If Jimmy's ass ain't home, I don't know what the fuck we gonna do, man, because I ain't got no other partners in 818. Jimmy, yo, how you doing, man? It's June. All right. So here we go. He's going to Jimmy's house, which, you know, anyone who's seen this movie knows. That is Quentin Tarantino's character. Um, and they go in, and they are washing up, and there's a little scene where uh, they're arguing over the, you know, the clean towels and this and that, and how to act, and I'm not going to play that whole scene, but what I will play, of course, is the scene that everybody wants me to play. Um, the other scene where Quentin Tarantino starts spouting out the N-word. I'm sure everybody wants to hear it. So, if you want to hear it, here it goes. God damn, Jimmy. This is some serious gourmet shit. Me and Vincent would have been satisfied with some freeze-dried taster's choice, right? <laughs> and he brings this serious gourmet shit on us. 
What flavor is this? Knock it off, Chewy. What? I don't need you to tell me how fucking good my coffee is, eh? I'm the one who buys it. I know how good it is. When Bonnie goes shopping, she buys shit. I buy the gourmet expensive stuff because when I drink it, I want to taste it. But you know what's on my mind right now? It ain't the coffee in my kitchen. It's the dead nigger in my garage. Oh, Jimmy, don't even worry about it. Well, no, 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 don't think about anything. I want to ask you a question. When you came pulling in here, did you notice a sign out in the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? Jimmy, you know I ain't seen no shit. Did you notice a sign in the front of my house that said dead nigger storage? I didn't. You know why you didn't see that sign? Cause it ain't there. Cause storing dead niggers ain't my fucking business. That's why. Well, Jimmy, we're not gonna no, 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 store no, 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 them. No, 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 no. Don't you fucking realize, man, that if Bonnie comes home and finds a dead body in her house, I'm gonna get divorced. All right, no marriage counseling, no trial separation. I'm gonna get fucking divorced, okay? And I don't want to get fucking divorced. No, man, you know, fuck. I mean, I want to help you, but I, I don't want to lose my wife doing it. All right? Jimmy, Jimmy, she ain't gonna leave. Don't her. fucking Jimmy me, Jules. Okay? Don't fucking Jimmy me. There's nothing that you're going to say that's going to make me forget that I love my wife. Is there? She comes home from work in about an hour and a half. Graveyard shift at the hospital. You got to make some phone calls. You got to call some people. Well, then do it. And then get the fuck out of my house before she gets here. Hey, that's cool in the gang. You know, we don't... Right. <clears throat> I don't think we need to... We've already been into the whole N-word thing with Quentin Tarantino. We don't even need to get into that. Um, right. but, uh, you know, obviously he's not happy that they're there <laughs> to say the least. <laughs> um, but yeah. And, you know, I, I do like the, the, the dialogue in this scene with the, with you know, the whole coffee thing. And it oh, was funny. It, it was. <laughs> and yeah, well, obviously, you know, the elephant in the room. Yes, he does throw the N word out more than once, about it looks like four or five times there. But, um, uh, you know, like I said, we've already gotten to that. We don't need to, uh. We don't need to go into the whole hard R of it. So, you know. But uh, this scene is also where they, uh, you know, they're standing there in their suits, dirty as hell. And uh, this is where they do call the wolf. Uh, Right after this, they call Marcellus Wallace. And, um, yeah, definitely going to have to play this scene, too. Just, again, Marcellus Wallace acting like the badass he is in this scene. Here we roll. What do you think she'll do? Oh, no fucking shit, she'll freak. That ain't no kind of answer. I mean, you know I don't, how much, a lot or a little. You got to appreciate what an explosive element this Bonnie situation is. I mean, she comes home from a hard day's work, finds a bunch of gangsters in the kitchen doing a bunch of gangster shit. Ain't no telling what she's liable to do. <sighs> yeah, I've grasped that, Jules. All I'm doing is contemplating the ifs. I don't want to hear about no motherfucking ifs. All I want to hear from your ass is, you ain't got no problem, Jules. I'm on the motherfucker. Go back in there, chill them niggas out, and wait for the cavalry, which should be coming directly. You ain't got no problem, Jules. I'm on the motherfucker. Go back in there and chill them niggas out, and wait for the wolf, which should be coming directly. You sending the wolf? Oh, you feel better, motherfucker? Shit, Negro, that's all you had to say. Is she the hysterical type? When is she right, we'll pause a little bit before we get back into the the, uh, the the wolf scene here, but obviously the wolf is a bad motherfucker. We mentioned before this part was written exclusively for Harvey Keitel. Uh, Harvey Keitel is obviously one of the Quentin Tarantino. Uh, he's a Quentin Tarantino guy. 
Yeah, you know, obviously, yeah, Reservoir Dogs. He was an incredible character in that movie. Um, you know, basically, tons of dialogue in that movie he had. But uh, you know, Harvey Keitel is a badass. Pretty much anything he's in, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, they do call the wolf played by Harvey Keitel here. And uh, I guess we can roll a little bit of this scene here where he's on the phone with them and gaining information. Give me the principal's name again. Jules. Mm-hmm. Vincent. Jimmy. Bonnie. Mm-hmm. It's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. <laughs> All right. So, by the way, it goes up and he says, you know, it's 30 minutes away. I'll be there in 10. It says nine minutes and 30 seconds, 37 seconds later, he's pulling up to the house. Uh, the car he's driving is an Acura NSX. That car was known for speed, but not known for its handling. Just in case you have anybody uh, knows about that car. It was known for once you lose control, there was no gaining control of it. That's what that, that's what that car became known for, which is why you don't see many of them on the road right now. You ever notice you never see an Acura, you don't really see him much at all? That's why. They never, yeah. the reviews for it became so bad, they just, I think they stopped making them. Um, but he does pull up, and uh, we'll go ahead from here. You're Jimmy, right? This is your house? Sure is. I'm Winston Wolf. I solve problems. Good, we got one. So I heard. May I come in? Uh, yeah, please do. You must be Jules, which would make you Vincent. Let's get down to brass tacks, gentlemen. If I was informed correctly, the clock is ticking. Is that right, Jimmy? Uh, 100%. Your wife, Bonnie, comes home at 9.30 in the a.m., is that correct? Uh-huh. I was led to believe if she comes home and finds us here, she wouldn't appreciate none too much. She wanted that. All right, that gives us... 40 minutes to get the fuck out of Dodge. Which, if you do what I say, when I say it, should be plenty. Now, you got a corpse in a car, minus a head in a garage. Take me to it. All right, so there you go. I don't need to go through all this scene here, but uh, basically he starts really barking orders at him. You know, you guys do this, do that. Uh, clean up the car, this and that. And uh, it does get solved because he is a problem solver. Um, there is another scene where uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino hands the wolf a cup of coffee and he actually holds up the cup of coffee like it's good, which again references the scene before with the coffee. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino kind of gives him a look like, oh my God. Uh, but yeah, yeah, eventually he does get these guys. They clean the car, they do clean up. Um, and we end up, after all this, um, they get cleaned up. They end up back at the restaurant that we begin the movie at. Now, if you do watch the beginning of this movie, you can see Jules sitting there, and if you look deep in the background, you can actually see Vincent Vega walking to the bathroom. Uh, so it really does tie into the beginning of the movie, this scene. Um, now, this is, again, we said, you know, Jules is sort of getting a you know, kind of a come-to-Jesus moment. He's looking to get out of the life he's in. And um, we're going to play a little bit of this scene just to uh, just tie the movie together. And this is actually the end scene of the movie. And here we go. Or something, because he 
Yeah, man, he's about as European as fucking English Bob. I know that right. now. But was he cool or what? Thank you. Totally fucking cool. His control. Didn't even, you know, even really get pissed when you were fucking with him. I was amazed. Want some bacon? No, man, I don't eat pork. Are you Jewish? No, I ain't Jewish. I just don't dig on swine, that's all. Why not? Pigs are filthy animals. I don't eat filthy animals. Yeah, but bacon tastes good. Pork chops taste good. Hey, sewer rat may taste like pumpkin pie, but I'd never know because I wouldn't eat the filthy motherfuckers. Pigs sleep and root and shit. That's a filthy animal. I ain't eat nothing, ain't got sense enough to disregard its own feces. How about a dog? Dog eats his own feces. I don't eat dog either. Yeah, but do you consider a dog to be a filthy animal? I wouldn't go so far as to call a dog filthy, but they're definitely dirty. But dogs got personality. Personality goes the wrong way. Uh, so by that rationale, if a pig had a better personality, he'd cease to be a filthy animal. Is that true? Well, we have to be talking about one charming motherfucking pig. <laughs> I mean, he had to be ten times more charming than that arm on green anchors, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> oh, man, that's good. That's good, man. You're like, starting to lighten up. You've been sitting there all serious and shit. I man, I've just been sitting here thinking. About what? About the miracle we witnessed. Miracle you witnessed. I witnessed a freak occurrence. What is a miracle, Vincent? The act of God. And what's an act of God? When um, God makes the impossible possible. All right. So there you go. Um, you know, they're sitting there talking. And again, Jules is having this come to Jesus moment. Vince isn't buying it. Vince does not really uh, show that he wants uh, out of the life, if you will. Um, and you know what? I hate to do this, guys. But if I don't piss, I'm going to explode. <laughs> I cannot make it to the end of the fucking show. I've had a piss since like 35 minutes into this thing. So we're going to take a really quick break. I'm going to go, and then we're going to get right back to this. I apologize again, but uh, luckily on the downloads, you won't even know that we took a break. And uh, give us one minute, and we will be right back. All right. Sorry about that, guys. That, uh, that had to be done. Like, really had to be done. So... There we go. I got that done. Thank you guys for holding on. Everyone in the chat room for hanging out for real quick there. And uh, yeah, so we were back at the scene where Jules is having his uh, come to Jesus moment. Vince isn't having much of it. But um, again, this, this, this ending scene does really tie into the beginning scene. And uh, we're actually going to, I'm going to play a little bit more of it. And then we'll, uh, we'll tie it all in for you guys right, in, right, right here. This morning, I don't think it qualifies. Hey, Vincent, don't you see that shit don't matter? You're judging this shit the wrong way. I mean, it could be God stopped the bullets or he changed Coke to Pepsi. He found my fucking car keys. You don't judge shit like this based on merit. Now, whether or not what we experienced was an according to Hoyle miracle is insignificant. But what is significant is I felt the touch of God. God got involved. But why? Well, that's what's fucking with me. I don't know why. But I can't go back to sleep. You serious? You really thinking about quitting? The life? Yeah. Most definitely. Fuck. What you gonna do then? Well, that's what I've been sitting here contemplating. First, 
I'm gonna deliver this case to Marcellus. Then, basically, I'm just gonna walk the earth. What you mean, walk the earth? You know, like Kane in Kung Fu. Walk from place to place, meet people, get in adventures. And how long do you intend to walk the earth? Till God puts me where he wants me to be. And what if you don't do that? If it takes forever, then I'll walk forever. So you decided to be a bum? I'll just be Jules, Vincent. No more, no less. No, Jules. You decided to be a bum. Just like all those pieces of shit out there who beg for change, who sleep in garbage bins, eat what I throw away. They got a name for that, Jules. It's called a bum. And without a job, a residence, or legal tender, that's what you're gonna be, man. You're gonna be a fucking bum. Look, my friend, this is just where you and I differ. Awesome! All right. <clears throat> so as they're going through their whole little spiel there on, you know... Samuel Jackson sitting there, you know, talking about how he's just going to be like the guy in Kung Fu, um, which, again, is a reference to uh, Quentin Tarantino being a big martial artist kind of fan because Kung Fu was originally the idea of Bruce Lee, but the show ended up going to David Carradine. Uh, it was Bill. <laughs> right. Yeah. And you can hear all about this in the uh, Bruce Lee episode we did. I think I actually got pretty deep into it. I know I did. I'm sorry. Uh, oh, no, it was good shit. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, again, uh, we're tying this scene in. And, again, we do hear Tim Roth right now, and uh, who is Pumpkin and Honey Bunny. And they are talking and about to rob the place. And uh, I guess we can just go ahead and kind of uh, play the last few minutes, and we'll go from there. Coffee! Jules, look, what happened this morning, man, I agree, it was peculiar. But water into wine, I... All shapes and sizes, Vincent. Fucking talk to me that way, man. If my answers frighten you, Vincent, then you should cease asking scary questions. I'm gonna take a shit. Let me ask you something. When did you make this decision? When you were sitting there eating that muffin? Yeah. I was sitting there eating my muffin and drinking my coffee and replaying the incident in my head when I had what alcoholics refer to as a moment of clarity. Fuck. To be continued. All right, so again, I said that, uh, you know, if you watch the beginning of the movie, you can see Jules sitting there contemplating and, uh, um, you know, Vince walk into the bathroom. So right here is where we started the movie from, and it's where we're going to kind of uh, start ending it from. Uh, they have their little back and forth pumpkin and uh, honey bunny do, and I'll go ahead and play that. Like I said, we'll go ahead and uh, we've only got a few minutes left. Let's go ahead and hit it. Okay. I love you, honey bunny. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking pricks move! I'm gonna execute every one of your motherfuckers! You got that? You just be quiet over there! You're in the crisis! Fuck you! You're not. Now, there's one thing I don't understand that I do need to bring up. In the beginning, yep. she says, I'll execute every last one of you motherfuckers. And in this part, she says, I'll execute every last one of or every motherfucking last one of you. Or not even last. She says, I'll execute every motherfucking one of you. So I don't understand why he did that or if he even knew he did it. But it's sort of a mistake in the movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah have you caught that before, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I noticed that the first time I saw yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. A little mistake in the movie. Probably not a very big one. Probably hardly anyone noticed it. But, I mean, you know, with the Internet nowadays, everyone fucking notices everything. All right. Let's roll a little more into this scene because uh, we do get uh, 
some bad motherfucking shit going down. Over to that booth over there on the counter table. Mexicans out of the fucking kitchen! What? Fuck down! Fuck! Take your sandwich! What the fuck are you doing? You fucking yuppie, get down! You fucking hairy yuppie, get down! Throw those bags! Fucking way up! Talk to the customers. Yeah. You tell them to be fucking cool. Yes. And everything will be over. Yeah. You understand me? Yes. Listen, everybody. Be calm. Cooperate. And this will all be over in a minute. Fuck down. Well done. All right. So from here, we go to Vincent kind of taking a dump. They show him in there kind of reading a book, uh, taking a dump. They are robbing the place. <clears throat> Again, I'm breaking the scene up a little bit, but... Uh, they are actually going in. They start they grab a garbage bag and they are taking off all the fucking customers. But of course, they do get to one customer, um, who's not cooperating as much as everyone else. And of of course, it's Jules. Uh, let's go ahead and do it. In the bag. In the bag. In the bag. It's in a case. My boss's dirty laundry. Your boss makes you do his laundry? When he wants it clean. Sounds like a shit job. Funny, I was thinking the same thing. Open it. Afraid I can't do that. I didn't hear you? Guess you did. Looks like we got a vigilante in our midst. Shoot him in the face. I hate to shatter your ego, but this ain't the first time I've had a gun pointed at me. You don't take your fucking hand off that case, it'll be your last. Stop causing problems. You'll get us all killed. Give him what you got and get him out of here. Shut the fuck up, fat man. This ain't none of your goddamn business. Be cool, honey bunny. Be cool. <laughs> no problem. I got it under control. Now I'm going to count to three. If you don't open that case, I'm going to unload in your fucking face. We clear? All right. <clears throat> so let's kind of break down where we are right now. We do see that Jules is A, not fucking scared at all, especially after just coming off his uh, divine intervention, like he said. Um, so he's really not scared besides the fact, like he said, this isn't the first time I've had a gun pointed at me. Um, but again, you know, we, we've said a few times in this, how cold blooded these guys are, you know, nothing seems to shake them. And, uh, you know, it's just the way these guys fucking like are built or whatever, but, uh, yeah, just cold as hell. Nothing seems to phase him, and uh, I'm going to roll a little bit with the rest of this, or some more of this scene. One, two, three. Okay, Ringo, you win. It's yours. Opening. What is it? Is that what I think it is? It's beautiful. <laughs> All right, once again, we get to guess what's in the case, because he again never says it. What's in it? Is that what I think it is? It's beautiful. I, uh, again, this part, again, makes me like the answer he gave that, you know, it is whatever the viewer wants it to be. 
it really does, like I said, it keeps the movie... How many movies go through every little thing and tell you every little thing going on in it? How many of them leave you with a cliffhanger that never has been explained? Not many of them, but I mean, because most of the time when that happens, people bitch about it. I can't fucking believe they didn't fucking explain this and that. This one, though, you know, the fact that they never explained the briefcase just basically makes the movie better. Because it was meant to be that way. Those are the other movies that don't answer the question. It's not like it was intentional. It was just bad writing. <laughs> you know? Yeah, very good point. I just see where you're coming from there. Um, but yeah, you know, I mean, she's sitting there, you know, Honey Bunny's sitting there with a big, you know, giant smile on her face. And uh, let's go ahead and roll a little bit more. Damn it, what is it? <laughs> you let him go! You let him go! Let go of it! Tell that bitch to be cool! Okay, just really quick to let everyone know, as he was looking at the briefcase and distracted, he looked back at his girl, and Jules grabbed him, puts the gun to his head, and now that's where we're at. Yolanda. Right now, Yolanda, we're not going to do anything stupid, are we? Don't you hurt him. Nobody's going to hurt anybody. We're all going to be like three little Fonzies here. And what's Fonzie like? Come on, Yolanda, what's Fonzie like? Cool. What? Cool. Correct the mundo. And that's what we're going to be. We're going to be cool. Now, Ringo, I'm going to count. And when I count three, I want you to let go of your gun, put your palms flat on the table, Sit your ass when you do it. You do it cool. You ready? Two, three. Okay, now you let him go. Yolanda, I thought you were gonna be cool. Now, when you yell at me, it makes me nervous. And when I get nervous, I get scared. And when motherfuckers get scared, that's when motherfuckers accidentally get shot. Just know, you hurt him, you die. Well, that seems to be the situation. But I don't want that. And you don't want that. And Ringo here definitely doesn't want that. So let's see what we can do. Now, here's the situation. Normally, both your asses would be dead as fucking fried chicken. But you happen to pull this shit while I'm in a transitional period, and I don't want to kill you. But I can't give you this case, because it don't belong to me. Besides, I've been through too much shit over this case this morning to just hand it over to your dumb ass. Vincent! (laughs) Be cool! All right. At this moment, Vincent comes out of the bathroom. And, of course, <clears throat> where the hell did he have that gun is my question in those shorts. <laughs> where did either of them have the gun in those fucking 1970s bo- b- basketball shorts? I was waiting for the gun to just fall out. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I mean, they don't make, uh, you know, inner thigh holsters for, for, for guys. That's <laughs> those are for women. Uh, so I don't know where they had these guns. But anyway, let's not nitpick the movie that bad. That's probably a shitty thing to do. Uh, anyway, Vince comes out of the bathroom here, and he's you know pointing the gun at the uh, at Yolanda. We can actually call her Yolanda at this point. And uh, I, I, I kind of like uh, Jules' name for Tim Roth here at this point, Ringo. We did say Ringo probably got a lot of pussy, so, you know, there we go. Uh, <laughs> Ringo and uh, Yolanda. But uh, here we go. I'm going to roll the scene a little more from here. We are just about done. Here. 
Yolanda, it's cool, baby. It's cool. We still just talking. Come on, point the gun at me. Point the gun at me. There you go. Now, Vincent, you just hang back and don't do a goddamn thing. Tell her we're still cool. Still cool, honey bunny. How we doing, baby? I, I gotta go pee. I'm gonna go home. Just hang in there, baby. You're doing great. I'm proud of you. And Ringo's proud of you. It's almost over. Tell her you're proud of you. <laughs> proud of you, honey bunny. I love you. I love you too, honey bunny. I want you to go in that bag and find my wallet. Which one is it? It's the one that says bad motherfucker. As he's doing this, he does go through. He finds the wallet. It does say bad motherfucker. Now, where did he get that wallet, you might ask? Do you guys want to know? All right. That wallet actually belongs to Quentin Tarantino. (laughs) It is a reference to the theme song of Shaft, which Samuel L. Jackson ended up playing in the year 2000, the main character in Shaft. So that is actually Quentin Tarantino's personal wallet. Whoa. <laughs> 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 oh, that is pretty good shit. All right. I'm going to go ahead and uh, play uh, probably the rest of the scene. And uh, here we go. That's my bad motherfucker. Open it up. Count it. How much is that? $1,500. Put it in your pocket. It's yours. Now, with the rest of those wallets in the register, that makes this a pretty successful little score, huh? Jules, you give that fucking Nimrod $1,500 and I'll shoot him on general principle. <laughs> hey, Yolanda, Yolanda, he ain't gonna do a goddamn motherfucking thing. Vince, shut the fuck up! Shut up! Come on, Yolanda. Stay with me, baby. <laughs> now, I ain't giving it to him, Vince. I'm buying something for my money. You wanna know what I'm buying, Ringo? What? Your life. I'm giving you that money so I don't have to kill your ass. You read the Bible, Ringo? Not regularly, not. Well, there's this passage I got. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness, for he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know I am the Lord. Vengeance upon you. I've been saying that shit for years. And And real quick, by the way, he also switched that line. Uh, Here he says, lay my my vengeance upon you. In In the room that they're in, he says, lay my vengeance upon thee. That's another little... Again, I don't know if, knowing Tarantino, he might have done it purposely, but uh, I did want to mention that. That's another little mistake that I noticed, and I've always noticed in the movie. That was one that I did pick up the first time I saw it. So, here we go. Let's finish this out. If you heard it, that meant your ass. I never gave much thought to what it meant. I just thought it was some cold-blooded shit to say to a motherfucker before I popped a cap in his ass. I saw some shit this morning made me think twice. See, now I'm thinking, maybe it means you're the evil man, and I'm the righteous man. And Mr. Nine Millimeter here, he's the shepherd protecting my righteous ass in the valley of darkness. Or it could mean you're the righteous man, and I'm the shepherd. And it's the world that's evil and selfish. Now, I'd like that. 
But that shit ain't the truth. The truth is, you're the weak, and I am the tyranny. But I'm trying, Ringo. I'm trying real hard to be the shepherd. At this point, he unloads his gun, and uh, they walk out with uh, the money and the wallets. And uh, that's pretty much it. Him and Vince have a little talk here. We'll go ahead and finish this up. Yeah, that's probably a good idea. Basically, he said, it's time to get the fuck out of here. And he said, yeah, it's probably a good idea. And they do. And that is the end of Pulp Fiction. Um, Goddamn, guys. After that breakdown, I don't know if we can say anything better about the movie that we didn't fucking get into already. But... uh, Oh, I can go pretty deep. Well, go for it, man. (laughs) Well, first, I like to... It's my all-time favorite, one of my all-time favorite movies. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to say it's my number one. It's up there, mm-hmm. very high up there. But uh, a lot of theories on the movie. Um, but my favorite thing that I heard, and uh, I can't remember if I broke this down to you guys in the conversation before, but I know that uh, I've been very eager to do this movie to break this down for people who were not aware. <laughs> Pulp Fiction is a modern-day retelling of King Arthur. It is. The, the characters... Okay, the, okay. Let's, let's break it down with the main characters let's here. Let's do it. King Arthur, obviously, I don't have to break down the character traits of King Arthur. That would, He would obviously be Marcellus Wallace. Right, right, right. You know, he, he rules the land. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I don't have to go much deeper into that. Uh, who else? Let's go into Vincent. Vincent is Lancelot because Lancelot in the story of King Arthur, Lancelot came back from France. He was King Arthur's most trusted soldier. He, uh, he sent him on his most important missions, uh-huh. uh, including, including protecting the wife of King Arthur, who was Guinevere. Mia. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm, I'm following <laughs> yeah. you. I'm following you. No. No, there were there were uh there were stories of men who maybe got a little too close to Guinevere and they had to be executed. <laughs> that story was told right there in Pulp Fiction. Tom yeah, um, R- Rocky Horror. All right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. All, right, um, all right. And also, well, in the story of Lancelot and Guinevere they actually went all the way. He actually did fuck Guinevere. In Pulp Fiction, they didn't go that far, but they did get pretty intimate. Uh-huh, you know, uh-huh. they didn't they didn't have sex, but you can say that they did get pretty intimate. Well, yeah. So that happened. Foot massage. Yeah. Foot massage. Yeah. Foot massage. Yeah. Now, now let's get into let's get into who else are we gonna get? Vincent. Let's go ahead and tackle Vincent. Mm-hmm. Vincent would be Galahad. Okay. Who who was. Basically, the partner of Lancelot, um, he was a righteous man, very religious man, didn't like to kill. He only killed if he had to. But his thing was he was very religious, very righteous man. You know that uh, Jules always uh, always said the little biblical verse. And then after they witnessed, oh, I forgot to mention, too, with Lancelot, there was a story that um, he once went into battle and... uh, came out untouched 
Everybody else was fucked up. He came out untouched, which was obviously what happened, you know, at the at the apartment with the, um, the gunshots. Okay, okay, you know? okay. Not a single bullet touched. Right, him. right. And in the story of Lancelot, not a single blade cut him. You know, so okay, so back to Vincent. You know, um, he was a righteous man. He actually wanted to. I, I believe, if I remember correctly, he actually wanted to basically retire. Uh, he, he only, like I said, he only killed him when he had to, whatever. So that's that. That's Vincent. Uh, who else? Butch. Let's get into Butch. Um, there was a character. I think he was the son of King Arthur. His name was Mordred, I believe. And he betrayed King Arthur, betrayed him. I get, I don't, I don't remember the exact situation. All I remember is that he betrayed him and it, came down it ended up in an epic one-on-one battle between which again obviously happened between butch and uh marcellus Mm -hmm. in the movie uh oh shit almost forgot the wolf winston wolf Mm -hmm. the man who was able to make miracles happen it was it was supposed to take 30 minutes to get there he got there at less than 10 like a magician like merlin whoa (laughs) <laughs> he was able to, he, he worked like a fucking, mis- they needed a miracle, so they called the man who can make the impossible happen, they called the wolf. Whoa. He is Merlin. Dude, this, yeah. this is as crazy as fucking Pink Floyd syncing up with the Wizard of Oz, <laughs> man. Isn't it? Right? Yeah. It blew my fucking mind. <laughs> it blew my mind when I, when I found all this out. You know what? It, and, it, um, it, 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 you're making sense. If you got more, keep it going, man. Keep it going. I like this. Yeah. Well, well, this is, this is the last little, this is the last bit that I have. I love this. This is yeah. the last bit that I have. All right. All right. Yeah. So, so that covers all of the main characters. There are probably other minor characters that, that correspond with others, but this is, this is, this is where it all comes together here. The briefcase. Uh-huh. Oh, don't! It doesn't. Don't. It, it doesn't matter. Don't tell me this no. is a holy grail. Yes, sir. Oh, yes, sir. Monty Python. Always. Whole... I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it's the holy grail. Yeah. Run away! Run away! <laughs> All right, I'm... we're gonna do that. Someday. Oh, fuck yeah! We'll do that. Fuck yeah! Damn right. I'm sorry. Go ahead, man. I didn't mean to throw you off. There. No, no. That that's it. That's 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 the It's that's the, the holy grail, right dude. The briefcase is the holy grail. It doesn't matter what's in it. It it glows. It, it's it's the most beautiful thing. It's, it's it's the most important item to anybody in that entire movie. It doesn't matter what's in it. It just matters what it is. It's the holy grail. It is the most it beautiful represents. thing. Mm, yeah, dude, that, that's how deep is that? That's fucking deep, man. That's fucking like deep, deep, deep. I like that, man. I like that. But you know what? It makes sense. Yeah. When you do break it down like that, it actually does make sense. What do you yeah. think, Anthony? Oh, I agree with that. I can't really. Uh, first off, that was a great breakdown, Bobby. Uh, my main takeaway from it, especially after the way Bobby just broke that down, is. Whatever it is in your life that makes you happy like that, protect it with your life, literally. And that, that, that that's the answer to whatever's in the briefcase. Whatever makes you that, you know, content. Yeah. There you go. Whatever you would protect. I like that. That's good, man. Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, see that that we get, we, we get deep on this show every now and then. Yeah, but you see, that's what's great about this movie is, you know, like me and Bobby were saying before, any other movie that would leave a cliffhanger like this, you'd be like, shitty writing, fuck this movie. Why didn't they fucking do this at the end or that at the end? This movie never gave you an answer, still hasn't given you an answer, and everyone's just like, that's fucking cool. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Only Tarantino could pull off something like that. And like I said, the fact that he doesn't answer what it is or anything like that still gives this movie that sort of uh, you know mysterious aura to it. And uh, it 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 literally just kind of you know it, it it makes the movie better. It just keeps the movie yeah. relevant always. Like this is one of those movies that I think will literally hold up any time. This might be another timeless movie. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Yeah, yeah. I think this movie. It, it, if if I if I watch this ten years from now, I'm still gonna fucking love the movie. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. And another thing that helps with that to 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 keep it timeless is the fact that everything in it looks so retro. You know, it can't be pinned down to one time period. Right. So, you know, it it can never really be dated. Yeah. yeah exactly. I mean, you know, the, they walk into the, uh, you know, Jackrabbit Slims and. It's it looks completely fifties. And by the way, that was the most expensive part of the movie was building the set for Jackrabbit Slims. Uh, I believe they said you know that was like the eight million out of the eight million dollar budget. That was like three million of it, and the other five went to paying the actors. Wow. Yeah, yeah, that's 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 pretty fucking crazy. But <clears throat> yeah, man, that's uh. I like that little breakdown of it, man. That's pretty fucking cool. King yeah, fucking Arthur. I like that, man. But yeah, definitely, you know, I, it, I hope he keeps the you know, mystery going and lets it go. But this movie will definitely always be fucking timeless. And uh, unless you guys got any more, I think we should wrap this shit up, man. I think that does it. All right. Well, help. Definitely, man. Thanks, thanks everybody for hanging out in the fucking chat room. Really appreciate it. I know it's uh, been a long show, but this movie definitely, you know, deserved a little longer of a show. It's not uh, any given Sunday, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know, definitely thanks for hanging out. Uh, don't forget to check out me and Anthony. We will be back here next Saturday, 1030, or I'm sorry, 1130 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, me and Shaheen at 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, Wednesdays. You can check out us on uh, Facebook.com slash groups. That's THD Podcast. And don't forget to uh, check out Shaheen and J-Cat Morris, the most hated man on the Internet today. Mr. J-Cat Morris, the most hated man. Uh, they usually go on Sundays, sometimes Monday during Raw, because, I mean, let's face it, who wants to fucking watch Raw? You should be listening to these guys. Fuck Raw. Just D- yes. DVR yes. Raw and listen to Shaheen and J-Cat. That's what you guys should be yeah. fucking doing. Yes. Especially if you're affiliated. Absolutely. If you're affiliated, definitely listen to these two guys. <laughs> uh, and uh, there you go. On that note, guys, I, again, appreciate everybody listening. Bobby, thanks for fucking helping us out once again, man. Uh, Thank you. That breakdown was fucking amazing, man. Yes. And... Uh, 
All right. No doubt. Till the next time you join us, Bobby, Anthony, thanks for hanging, and we'll uh, see you. Thanks for staying awake, Anthony. Of course. All right. Y'all take it easy, guys. We'll see y'all next time on THT Movie Review. Later. Peace. Peace. Go home and get your fucking shine box. Eh.